don't get cute. I have high tendency to try to get cute. I think I did it right. You did. Welcome. We're good. Welcome to X and One. I believe this is, is this episode four? Episode oh, four. All right. Episode four. Uh, I'm not, I'm not going to keep track of it. 10th edition is on the way. Lions out. We don't, we don't care anymore. Uh, so we decided after we kind of got established that we're going to start a, uh, I don't want to say zero to hero because that's, uh, that kind of really undermines uh, Cliff, but uh, we decided we're going to try to elevate Elevates Cliff's play a little bit. Um, I don't know. I think uh, the best way to do this is kind of um, tap into Innis coaching because it is now coaching full time. Our guest, uh, who should need no introduction, but we'll go through introductions here shortly. Um, and this is a good plug for what you can expect if you're coaching or receiving coaching. Uh, but then also, like my growth as a player, things I wish I had learned. Uh, spots where like I had plateaued and then like what helped me push through those plateau points. Um, and then honestly, it's, it's kind of been interesting because someone who I came from when I was on break from 40 K, I played a lot of competitive league of legends and it was kind of interesting watching that community grow in its own self-awareness of like what it takes to be competitive and how to do competitive analysis over the course of the, the decade that I played it. And it's, Interesting, almost going back in time, watching the 40K community go through those same steps. Uh, so without uh, further ado, I am uh, one of your co-hosts, Tim Penny. This is uh, Stody Cliff, other co-host. And uh, joining us for the first time is uh, the man who needs no introduction, the captain of Team Scotland, one of the uh, founders of uh, formerly Fight Club, now StatCheck, Ennis Wilson. Hello, Cliff and Tim. Thank you so much for having me. It feels like it's been not long since I was logged in to this very platform doing a, a very similar show on the same network. But uh, it's a completely different show. It's, I'm not in charge. That's why there's a thing in my little thing that says I'm I'm going to forget 100%. But uh, it's fine. I'm not in charge today. It's great. I get to kick back, relax, let you guys do all the heavy lifting. Wait, no, the other thing. Uh, <laughs> we no, had it's, uh, it's good to be here. We were, all, we were all on stream together like less than a day ago. What was... Oh. Felt like felt like kind of a fever dream. <laughs> my sleep schedule is not yet recovered. I definitely went for a nap before my coaching call, then woke up and had coffee for the first time in about six. I months. mean, let's <laughs> so. yeah, let's let's be honest. Has like has GW reveal stream like ever really been worth like staying up for? Like we no. do it to ourselves every single time. But, but I would have been up at three a.m. anyway yeah. because my life was a mess. Oh well, so. let's not. Well, like like time out. Let's give let's give GW some credit where credit is due. One for those of you who are tuning in now, we had an Adepticon live stream react show last night it's like sort of funny it's worth checking out um you can get it on our channel but for Ennis, it was three o'clock in the morning for the rest of us we were coming up on midnight gw there was some there was some pacing issues but new lizard men models they slam new terminator models yeah. they slam the prospect of cool new tyranid models is something i'm excited about which Ennis is surely excited about the in the insinuation of that trailer was that every single thing in there was going to be a new model so it was a way of them showing it without like having it ready to show which i th which i thought was cool and i definitely encourage them to do that in the future because the ninth edition trailer it was only they only showed stuff that they actually had models for that we had seen so this was kind of a cool way for like 
essentially to see renders of new models. So I definitely was a big fan of that. Um, yeah, yeah I was just saying, like, usually they, <laughs> they've, they've, uh, something I've noticed with um, GW live stream reveals, uh, it started happening about like maybe like three years ago is when they started kind of going this trend. And like, it's the same reason why, like, I don't know, I think why the same thing direction they've gone with White Dwarf, where it's more like an advertisement. They've, spread it out and they never it feels like they don't give you more than like the what's absolutely necessary for them to like consider a preview they're like okay well here is you get two 40k things you get one sigmar thing and then you get one thing for each of our other games you know whereas like past it's it's like oh we have 10 40k things coming up here's a preview of all of them here's three previews for Warhammer Fantasy Battle. Here's one thing for Mordheim. Here's the thing for Gorkamarka. You know, stuff like that. And they would just, like, drown you in previews. Now, it, it feels very drip-fed is probably the best way I can put it. Um, and I I don't like that. I don't think they're going to ever move away from that. But I did, like I said, I did like the trailer just because the best part was it showed us all the stuff that we haven't seen that we didn't know was coming. Um, those... Zoe type looking uh, brain bugs. Those were excellent. Um, the uh, I don't know that it looked like almost like toxic greens. I don't know if those were like going to be a new bottle or if those are just new toxic greens. Those were cool. The screamer killer. Toxic greens cool. plastic. I can't see them getting rid of it. It's also like the only turtle model I don't own is the toxic green and the Harris Max. So well, yeah, because really like pl- well, I thought maybe maybe they relaunch it so it's playable. You know, so it's, <laughs> so so it's not, arms it's they, just, they just put it's permission like, in the box for you to only half build it. They give hinges for it. Like, uh, okay, enough enough answer. What have you guys been up to? Uh, Cliff, what have, what have you done in the past two weeks? Oh, boy. Um, picking out interesting Death Watch chest models to print to go with the... Actually, I have like a ton of Primaris Intercessors, uh, random bodies, etc. Um Dom, I love you, but man, you picked a faction that just we had to nuke from orbit before it hit the uh, hit the streets. Sorry, man. Short guys don't get to win. We, we, um, we dodged we dodged the uh, bullet on that one. I'm sorry. Huge bullet. Uh, <laughs> yes, I've been like getting the models ready in preparation for this session. Uh, for anyone who doesn't know, uh, Death Watch almost released with way more free war gear than any other faction. It would have been if if any of you are, understand why Space Wolves have been doing so well lately with all like the Melter Rats and free war gear, take that and like multiply it by like three. So sorry to interrupt, Cliff. That that brief moment where we thought there was going to be like thirty three point Deathwing Terminators where you could get five or Deathwing Terminators you could get five per squad with Cyclones, yeah, yeah terrifying. Yeah, that was going to be real bad. Um, so been prepping all the models for that, just like taking an inventory. That's been good. Working on the dashboard, trying to figure out some new ways to display accurate assessments of the data um so we're looking at like oh how many like over rep like how many people are in the top four you can see that uh naturally now i'm trying to look at like how many people go three and oh to start an event like what percentage of the factions players are doing that because uh, i think that gives us an idea of like almost like simultaneously what is the floor and the ease of play for a given faction um, and like tentatively, we're seeing that world leaders go three and zero, like one in five, for one in five players at the start of every faction, which is also probably why we're seeing so many people. Like we're hearing anecdotally that lots of people are doing really well at uh, RTTs with them. Not surprising. Um, and yeah, you know, just vibing. Aside from that, kids are asleep. Excited about Lizardmen. Prepping for the transition to Warhammer. 
Age of Sigmar in the summer. It's going to be great. <laughs> uh, what about you, Tim? Uh, just just more WTC prep. Um, like I said, we don't, we're still very much in the uh, the rat race to find out who's a starter, who's not. Um, we have, I believe we have four, we have 20 people on the team, four people are starters, and then the rest are prospects and or coaches or support staff. Um, I would say there's, out of the prospects, there's definitely two who, if they don't start, if they don't start, I'd be very surprised because they are honestly just out hustling the rest of us. Like they are always grinding, going to events, getting practice, stuff like that. So they're for sure shooing. Um, but I've just been doing what I can to, to kind of keep up. Uh, luckily, it's nice there are a couple other like guys who are like dads, like with kids and stuff like that on the team. So I don't I don't feel like that meme with like um, Steve Buscemi where he's like, "How you do, fellow kids?" You know, <laughs> like so, so like so. There's definitely some kindred souls there. Um, yeah. It has been interesting. Like before, I was kind of like a even with the kid, I was like a one to two game a week gamer, and now I'm kind of like three to four games a week. I mean, most of those are on TTS. Mm-hmm. Um, but the forced the forced gameplay um, with very specific curated lists uh, in this sometimes very stiff competition ha- has been huge. Um, so it's gotten to the point where I've had to actually kind of pull back from my local scene a little bit um, just because, uh, one, just just not as much time. It's a lot harder to get a day off to, like, go and take care of child care and everything like that. And then, two, I'll, like, I might just play someone who has, like, no idea what they're getting into, like, because I'm. I, it feels like I'm starting to like slowly climb up to like that next next level of competitiveness. And then when I run like 18 fiends and 90 demonettes into them, it's like a pink apple. <laughs> um. So speaking of, I actually uh, went up to. Um, I went to an RTT because I was trying to build some reps to that list. Um, and so I went up to uh, the RTT that um, our sister meta up up north in Palm Beach, about an hour north of us, or hour north of me in Fort Lauderdale. Uh, they were having, that was pretty fun. Uh, there was, I was about 25 people, um, a good mix of like World Eaters, Guard, Tyranids, uh, Space Marines, just everything. And I uh, I carpooled up with one of my Miami Dice teammates, Ben. He took uh, Black Legion. He was, um, I liked his list a lot. He was running Abaddon, Abaddon uh, plus an unmarked Master Possession, to use as a delivery system for a uh, phase cap bloodthirster uh, because uh, and then so he would basically like on his go turn he would shove two phase capped guys in your face at the same time um and then i he had a he brought a he was he's been messing around with that list for a while and he said it needed something extra and then i, I haven't played him in a couple weeks so i don't know what he's been doing with it lately but he has um he added a dread claw. He's got something scary in the dread claw. I don't know what it is. I'm sure I can look up the list at some point. But he said that was like the missing thing. He was the thing he was missing because now it's like on a go turn. He has Abaddon. He has um, the Bloodthirster, and then the uh, whatever nonsense is in the um, the dread claw comes down, and that's kind of like the three pieces that he generally pressures the board with. And he's been. Uh, Unfortunately, he he doesn't he didn't have a lot of reps into GSC, um, and so he kind of got GSC. I think he lost that that first game by like five or ten <laughs> points. 
Uh, and we talked we talked about it over lunch. I actually quoted some of the things that like that uh, that Ennis said in that clip. Um, the best thing, the easiest thing you could tell someone, just like real short, is just a thing where you put the back of your models against the wall, so it's harder for them to get crossfire on you. And he's like, I'll, I'll make sure I do that for next time. Uh, then he played Votan, played something else, and he finished out pretty strong. I think he got like fifth or sixth place. Um, I was just hoping I dodged the guy running 40, 45 Deathwing Terminators because best case scenario, I think I, I go first. I think I pin those first those first Terminators with some uh, combat jank and uh, coherency jank uh, and then just put everything behind it and just try to hold them on OPSEC and secondaries. But that's a real shaky plan into that list. Uh, and it requires me to go first. So I was just hoping I dodged him. Uh, and I did. I ended up playing Death Guard plus the Forge World Verbal Demon Prince to give um, three rolls. It was cute. It did absolutely nothing to my list, but it was it was cute. Um, and then I think he killed like six demonettes from the same squad because I kept regenning them. And he was like, "This just isn't, this." He's like, "This just isn't getting done." I'm like, "No, it's not." Um, game two, I played Blood Angels. Game three, I played uh, Pure Corn Demons with Bellacore and three War Dogs. Uh, Ooh. Yeah, and it was pretty good. Unfortunately, I don't think anyone was ready for the Slanesh Rush list. It was like literally a third of my army started in reserves. Uh, I picked the Demon Action. I picked Reality uh, Rebels, and then I would just pick whatever kill secondary they gave up more than like five points on. Like I, I wasn't even like looking that hard. I'm like, cool, you have two characters. I'm taking Assassinate. Like it was like that. Um, I was like, you know, no, what a gamer, Tim? No, no, I don't. I don't like to think. Um, so. <laughs> <laughs> so I would literally just put like a third of my army in reserves. I would I would put my footprint as much as possible. Like you can't really hide that army, but you can kind of hide it well enough. And if they push up, they try to get sharp angles. You're like, cool. Now you're 12 inches away from my entire army. Pop some warp star minus one to hit. Now whatever you put in front of my army dies. I push up the harp on this side. I start uh demon action on three, two or three uh objectives. You can't really stop it. Boom, boom, boom. That's eight to twelve points. Harp Girl deposits 30 demonettes to six fiends on this flank. Some other fiends run up. I collapse this flank. I move block a bunch of shit. I wrap some things. It's your turn. Now my army is fight first, army wide. Uh, what are you going to do? And for most people, they were like, uh, check notes. I'm going to die. And <laughs> I, would get like, I would get like 90 I would get like ninety or 95 points. And that's literally what happened. Like all, like all, I think like nine out of the past 10 games is literally what's happened. Uh, so the army is fucked up. Yeah, it's not a particularly multi-dimensional list, but the dimension it does have is very good. Yeah, you, the dimension, the dimension it has is warp speed straightforward. It's yeah. pretty fun. Turn you, two, you're, the, you're charging with like 10 to 12 units at the same time, right? It's just like a strike yeah. first fest. You're like, cool, I guess I literally get slammed. And, yep. It's doing the same then, thing uh, like the Orc Wallace does, where it's just uh, you have not enough activations. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I have a, there's a very common theme, like with most armies I play, where they're all like high rush, high pressure type armies, you know. Um, and I, sometimes they have shooting, sometimes they don't. But usually I just add shooting as like a way to deal with face caps or a way to break tank units that have, that are going to have thunderous interruptions, like the Warden mm -hmm. Bricks or like Terminator Bricks, stuff like that. Um, but if you don't have good shooting, then you just need to, find other ways to deal with those problems. And I just, you just move so fast, you score hard and you have fight first. It's actually not that bad. Uh, and then I played my second round of um, Vibe Check League uh, yesterday. And uh, I actually played uh, Rob Williams from the, uh, from our server. And he was playing Black Legion with two units of Havocs, uh, Abaddon, Terminator Brick, 
uh, with the minus one wound, Dark Apostle, Monster Possession, everything. Uh, we were playing Scouring, which was great for me, although he had, you know, his system's a combat army, so it wasn't terrible for him either. Uh, and he had two, he had a unit of, two units of Chain Cannon Havocs and a unit of Last Cannon Havocs. So I was kind of like, well, I took Assassinate. I, I didn't really want to go for Thin the Ranks or No Prisoners, although in retrospect, maybe I should have. Um, but I was like, ah, eh, maybe I'll grab some support characters, you know. Uh, I'll just bully him on primary. Um, I went first. I moved up. I started the mission. I started the scouring tertiary, and then two of the demon actions on the objectives. Uh, I just kind of staged, and I just kind of kept my profile as small as possible. Like encouraged him to maybe push up with some havocs, take some shots, because to do so he would have had to move into charge range of me. Uh, he did that on one side. He moved the havocs up. He got some shots. He killed like three demonettes, but now he was. 13 inches away from on like one of my flanks. I'm like, okay, that is how that is how I'm going to get into your side of the board over there. Uh, I moved up some fiends on the on the right side. I think it was mission table 26. So there's a pretty nice staging ruin up there on the right hand side. So I moved some fiends in there, um, and then some demonettes to like that. He kind of moved the terminators up, but he didn't really have enough movement to like get like angles. So he just he was able to he erased like a demonet unit with full hit and wound rerolls. Um, and then he moved up a venom crawler to get some pot shots into the fiends, and that was kind of a mistake because they were fully buffed. He did nothing. Uh, and that was actually kind of a nice little uh another nice little uh leaping off point that I wasn't planning on because he had they have like Venom Crawlers have like six or eight shots and then like eight attacks, something like that. So they're pretty good multi-phase, but they're not like something that like I was scared of with this list. So turn two, um, basically both Harp Girls ran forward. Demonettes ran up. They charged the Venom Crawler and then basically used it to slingshot themselves onto the objective that Terminators were on to basically steal that objective. Those buffed fiends... Abaddon was standing next to a unit of Havocs, a uh, unit of Chain Cannon Havocs, and a unit of Possessed. So they charged into Abaddon, the Possessed, and the Havocs. And then they had I had one model, uh, 0.9 inches from Abaddon, 0.9 inches from Possessed, um, which is important that comes up later. And then like on the other side of the table, like seven units, like four units came out of Deep Strike, two or three more units came uh, ran forward. They charged the Havoc unit and just completely collapsed that flank. But I activated the unit into Abaddon first, piled out of combat with Abaddon, and basically just completely pancaked the Possessed and then the Havocs, and then move blocked the Terminators. Uh, and at that point, he had, been zero, he, had, he had been zeroed out. I had scored a bunch of points on secondary. His flank was completely gone on one side, and like we, we played like one more round, and then he realized I had too many he pushed with Abaddon, but he realized I had too many demonettes, and they're on opposite yep. sides of the objective. So even if he heroic that next turn, there was no way to really stop me from scoring a twelve in primary. He was going to get like a four, so he got a zero to four. I got like an eight and a twelve. I was up really high in secondary, so we decided to just call it. And then we talked about the game a little bit. Cool. That was it. That's the what I've been up to this past two weeks. The pile out of combat move, which Ennis has also produced a short video on, which is fantastic. It's simultaneously like, you're like, mm, that's so good. And there's also like, that shouldn't, it shouldn't exist. You shouldn't be allowed to do this. It shouldn't be an option. Yeah. Every, the, the first couple of times I did it, like I got challenged on it every single time. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> like, and I'm like, all right, man, let's, 
I'm like, I get it. I get it. But like, let's, I was like, I, I had a, I had a bookmark on the fight phase. In the <laughs> pack. I would just like whip that open up and be like, whoop, there you, go. you know, cause it was like, that was like, that was like part of the fight phase for me. It was like charge, activate, pile in, make attacks, consolidate, open up the rule book and show you how I did that. Like that was, part <laughs> of that. that was actually like the step. So uh, what about you, Ennis? What have you been up to? Oh, uh, I mean, how far back do you want to go? Uh, since I was last on stat check, I've painted some models, uh, but that was two days ago. Um, but which models did you paint it as? I finished painting 10 Desolation Marines and uh, two <laughs> Landspeeder Tornadoes. Uh, and I've just been finishing basing up some infiltrators. Uh, as far as like my last couple of weeks has been, I uh, did a GT last weekend, which was super cool. I managed to win that with Dark Angel Terminators, and I only kind of hate myself for the process. Um, it, they're not fun to play. Um, this weekend, I have the Manchester GT Super Major, uh, and then the weekend after that, we have Home Nations, which is the most important event no one gets to hear about. Um, so yeah, prepping for that a bunch. So we've been doing a lot of Team Scotland stuff, a lot of practice weekends, a lot of list building and all that kind of thing. And we submitted lists on Monday, uh, got all the other team's lists, promptly had 15 to 75 panic attacks, um, started doing matrixes, which is all... Super fun because we have a we have a bunch of new blood on the team this year through people who've never done a team event of the scale before. So getting them up to speed, getting them doing things, everybody's super excited. But we also have to travel to Wales to play 40k, which is like ugh, wants to go to Wales. So yeah, it's been a it's been a busy week. Um lots of stuff on, but all in a good way. I, I mostly only do cool things now, which is really nice. Um to be in a place in your life where the only thing you do is the things you really want to do or the things that you have to do to, you know, like maintain a household is about it. So I can't really complain. It's the dream. You're doing it. Awesome. Okay. So basically, uh, we, I'm pulling like from, sorry, I have like several tabs open because I wanted to do this in an article, but like I am, I'm decent at speaking. I'm not so good at writing. Uh, I just wasn't happy with it. Um, but basically, my concept was uh, for this, this episode was to basically, um, Let's assume we're starting from scratch or kind of from scratch uh, with Cliff as someone who wants to kind of take his game to the next level yep. or at least start getting in the mindset of becoming more competitive and then staying there, um, which a lot of times we will we'll push and we'll practice like when we're getting ready for an event, but also just like working out the best way to be in shape is to never get out of shape in the first place. Um, so I... I was going to show him kind of like some of the methods that I use just to kind of keep myself competitively ready, even though a lot of times I'm not, especially as like a dad, someone who um, works on the weekends, someone who works a lot of overtime. Um, I don't actually go to like that many events anymore, but I like to keep myself in a relatively high degree of readiness. That way, if I do have the time to go to an event, I can kind of get into like fighting shape with like maybe five to 10 reps with like a list over the course of like a month, which I feel is very, very, very doable. But that also requires you to be coming from a pretty like good spot of fundamentals in the first place. Yeah. You know, like if you, if you have an event coming up and you're going to, you're going to spend some time with it and you're not hobbying, I think, I think five to 10 reps crunch time in a month, especially if some of those are re-rack sessions, something like that, I think that's totally doable. Um, it's not sustainable for people like us, but it is definitely something that you can do like short bursts of. Um, so 
it was very important that uh that I kind of push Innes to redo his article, how Tim Penny ruined my uh Thursday or Tuesday. Tuesday. I don't remember what I think it was a Tuesday. I honestly <laughs> don't remember at this point. I was uh, the best part was the best part was that <laughs> I know Innes was at work and I was like, I was like, ooh, I was like, he has the perfect mind for this. I'm gonna ask him a question that's gonna live rip free in his head until he fully like drills down deep into it and then that's exactly what happened, but he was like, he couldn't, he wasn't really an opportunity to drill down, so it just lived right in his head all day at work, and I, I totally I, went, I think I went to the bathroom 14 times during a seven-hour shift, just <laughs> sit on my phone for two minutes and put down what I've been thinking about for the past 20 minutes. Um, oh, that's but it was into the stall. Again, I'm gonna I'm gonna reference League of Legends. Uh, there was a post I saw um, because League of Legends, like on Reddit and some of the other like websites, where people were like very dedicated to um, getting better uh, at League of Legends, um, and that kind of started around the same time that lots of like teams and esports and spectating started happening with League of Legends. That's when all of a sudden there was like this big desire for uh, average players to evaluate their own play evaluate other players play and improve themselves we're starting to see 40k do that a little bit as well um and i think a lot of a lot of it ports over and one of the things i saw was uh basically there was um there was a i don't remember there's so many of them and they come and go especially over the past like you know 10 20 years how has least been all almost like we're on uh, since, since like 2010 I think League yeah, I was about to say because I, I start I start playing like uh, 2010, so it's been out because it's for always a been like um, season one is 2011, season two is 2012, and so on and so forth. Yeah, so I started, I I started playing League in end of season two, start of season three, and played fairly seriously through like 2016, and then got out of it after that, and kind of yeah, dipped my toe back played, every couple of years. But I played 2010, uh, and I played seriously up until about 2015, 2016. Then I got out of it. I haven't really looked back, but anyhow, a lot of concepts. There was this coach. Uh, which I don't think maybe he's a challenger or something. I don't remember. It does, it's not important. But basically, he uh, was you know writing this post and he was offering people advice in the comments stuff like that. And he was basically saying, "Hey, tell me what um, league and division you're in, and I will tell you what you most likely need to be working on as far as like macro, micro stuff like that, whatever. Like where are you hard stuck, and I will tell you skills you need to work on right now. And then also." Um, several people in league had a um that were successful they had a concept that i don't think has really been embraced by the 40k competitive and coaching community and that's building to escape the meta you're in or building to escape the bracket you're in uh, most of the coaching um coaching the streaming everything they're all about hey build this list this list has everything you need to win an event um and focus on winning the event doesn't matter if you're one or four. Doesn't matter if you're like shaky five zero or whatever. Build to win the event. And when you walk last year and before COVID, something like that, um, when you walked down the halls or down the tables at LBO, you could almost see a like a striation uh, every about two rows of tables um, as you walk through like this six hundred person, eight hundred person event, and the metas were clearly different. The way the armies were moving, what type of armies you were seeing, the matchups, the general demeanor of the players, everything. Oh, that was still true. And I think <laughs> I think it is uh, if you're just – winning events is cool, but I think if your goal long-term is just become a better player, mm. then I think that, yeah, maybe there should be some more self-analysis of where you are. 
and focus, focus on short-term attainable goals, which is to escape the meta you're in. If you are a 2-3 gamer, if you're a 3-2 gamer, focus on going to 3-2, focus on going to 4-1. If you're a 4-1 gamer, you know, shaky 4-1 gamer, focus on getting to 4-1 consistently, you know, and stuff like that. And just focus on getting to that next bracket. That's actually why I had the idea of this, was, I think, like two or three years ago, to ask Innis this question, because I... I felt the concept was there. I felt the concept had some validity, but I needed someone with more experience and it was better with words to basically actually put it down pen to paper. And so I knew I was out of my depth. That's actually why I asked Innis to do it. Um, yeah, I think it's a super interesting question because a lot of that probably stemmed from the fact that we don't have a clear, there's not really like a ranking system where you can, you know, see small incremental improvements in legal, in 4K compared to a game that has like online matchmaking. So like you play a game of league and you're very clearly like you're starting, you know, the lowest division is bronze and then you're going up through the gold through, you're going through like silver and brought in gold and all this and platinum and all that and so on and so forth. And you can very clearly track your progress in that system where if you're winning slightly more than you're losing, you're eventually going to hit silver and then you're eventually going to hit gold. And you can very clearly measure that when you're just playing 40k, if you're setting out with the idea of getting better as a player, the, the scale of an event isn't always the same, right? Going three and two at one event and going two and three at another one could could be exactly the same level of skill depending on the meta that you're in, the people that are playing there, um, the, the, the round size of the event, you know, terrain formats and all that kind of thing. Because event scale events don't line up one to one, right? There's no such thing as you know going five and zero at LVO is much easier than going five and zero at um, a local GT where there's a couple of really good players in the area because the scale is just so widely different that that comparison just doesn't work, and you very much have to start looking at you know, long run averages, like where do you generally place? And yeah, if you frequently place four and one, then that's fine. But if you're doing one, two, three events a year, that are like as I say, you're playing, maybe you're playing RTTs and things like that in between. You don't get that depth of, you don't have the information to compare to for yourself because you have so few points of comparison. So it's very difficult to see yourself improving. If you know, you went to one event and went three, two, and you go to another one three months later and go three and two again how do you really know if you got better between them? Like you can look at the events and be like, I feel like I played better, but there's not, it's very difficult to judge. And that's what event games like League and, you know, Magic the Gathering and all these kind of things that have very clear tracked formats for their online play have over Portage Cake. Yeah, and it's a little bit of a moving target too. If you play with like your teammates a bunch and you, and you, there's putting, they're putting as much into it as you are, they're going to improve as well. And so if you all are improving at roughly the same rate, you're not going to like feel like you're getting better. And then this is also one of those situations where um, because it's so gradual, it's very hard to self-analyze. It's um, the only thing I, the only kind of feedback I've really gotten on it, like personally is like when I play someone, um, I play someone and then I don't play them until like a year later. And then that that usually like elicit a comment like like wow like you know like hey you've gotten really good or like I know that they were they weren't throwing by bringing like a meme army or something like that like they brought just as serious of a list as the last time I brought them or the last time I played them and it felt easier to beat them this time now granted sometimes you get lucky and that's matchups uh, which is something we'll talk about as well uh, but usually a lot of time that's probably like the best indicator. Um, it's like it's like when someone hasn't seen you for a year or two, they're like, "Oh, hey, you lost weight, you look great, blah blah blah, new haircut, blah blah blah." This kind of like 
it takes someone to be removed from you for like a few months or years, like, and then reintroduce back to you under similar circumstances. And then they can see the difference because they see several months of progress summed up in like an instant, whereas you don't, um, if that makes any sense. Yep. So we asked Cliff to fill this out. And basically it's divided into two, um, two brackets here, pre-event gameplay aspects and then gameplay aspects. And so I, th I was thinking today that we're just gonna talk about the pre-event stuff and then we're going to do the gameplay aspects next week as we get more into like building a list because Cliff really wants to improve, but he wants to improve the Death Watch. So he's kind of doing a little bit of like hard mode or prestige mode because <laughs> Death Watch is not not doing so hot, but I think a lot of it is more abandonment issues and lack of a strong uh, community figurehead to innovate. Um, they're definitely not as good as Iron Hands as Dark Angels, but I definitely think they're in the upper half, if not the upper third of Marine Faction. So I think there's some play there, but we'll have to figure it out together. Yep. But pre-event stuff is totally within the, within the scope of this episode. We can work on it. So there's four things. Uh, for list building, uh, Cliff indicated that you know he needs to improve with playing a list he's skilled with or playing a meta list with a reasonable understanding. We're clearly not doing the second one. So we're gonna have to uh, <laughs> we're going to we're, we're gonna have to be a trendsetter, or we're gonna have to figure out a list that you can that you can uh, play and you can get skilled with. So yeah. the context here, a little bit. Uh, I should probably talk a little bit about like sure forty k I actually do play um, playing a semi monthly RTT. It's relatively small. It's relatively small, but growing community in my friendly local game store here in Philly. Um, and I, broadly speaking, am like a meme lister, right? Like I'll bring Tyranids because I love them and they're painted well, but I'm running Behemoth Tyranids instead of Leviathan where it was like super hot. Um, but I'll still win that RTT, which is like cool because like it's an RTT environment, not necessarily like a highly skilled local environment where folks are like going out, going four and one, five and oh GTs. Um, I think that's likely to change over the next couple of years. And there are two things going on that that caused me to want to like get better. One is I think I'm gonna have greater ability to actually travel and get out to get out to larger events. So like I'm trying to hit five before the end of the year, I think that's gonna be eminently doable. When I do show up, I'd rather not go one and four, two and three. Um, I'd rather go X and one, uh, which would be awesome. And that means one, not throwing in the list building phase, which is what I typically do. But I'm like, oh, I'm gonna run three monoliths. It's gonna be gas. Like, let's go. Uh, <laughs> it, it was not gas. It was not gas. Uh, uh, and yet you win two games and lose one. You're like, cool. You know, triple monoliths had a great time. Uh, and then three, just as an internal goal, this might ring true to people that have done other competitively oriented things at a relatively high level. Um, like when I played, like I played ball seriously. I played WoW Arena for the first three seasons very seriously. Um, and played Smite semi-seriously, which is like that third-person MOBA. And like, it, it's like a personal goal of mine to not lose games in things that I take seriously competitively. Like, I'm very happy to get beat by someone who is better than I am, so long as I was like, I did the best that I could, and that person was just better. Like, cool. I, I hate the notion of going out really trying to, to compete and then losing because I just blew it. Like that hurts. So the extent to which I can eliminate the likelihood of me blowing it, either wholesale or at like a key decision-making point in the game in 40K over the course of an event, 
Um, that's like a, a big personal goal of mine for this this work. Oh, yeah, yeah. That makes total sense. Do you want to touch quickly so, on what the framework that we're doing this on is, Tim, and maybe just like discuss the article in general for a second? Yeah, we should bring the article up. Maybe I can um, I can screen share it if you want to talk through it, Tim. Yeah, let's let's go ahead and screen share it. Perfect. Or we're not too deep into it. Because it'll be very easy to just go into the woods on Cliff a little bit and not give you a little bit of wider context on what it, why it is we're talking about these things. Yeah, yeah, we definitely want to showcase um, this article, and then also I'm going to tie it into our meta dashboard and basically show how you can essentially use a little bit of self analysis and the meta dashboard to work on your pre-event gameplay aspects, uh, and then in a future episode we will talk about the actual like, gameplay and practice. So just throw it up there when you're ready, Cliff. Yeah, the idea here being, of obviously, we're going to go through it with Cliff, but this is all stuff that all of you can do at home for yourselves to try and to try and you know figure out where you are on this scale and how you can develop. And then Cliff becomes the case study, which is a super cool way of doing this. And I think Tim did, Tim had some really cool ideas with this. All right, that should be on screen. Yeah, you want to zoom in a little bit, probably. Um, I... Good. Yep. More. Yeah, Perfect. I was just muted. Okay, so the uh, the first part of the pre-event uh, gameplay aspects. That's mostly what we're going to be talking through this episode. Is the top part of the table. Uh, so list building. Uh, let's see. That middle bracket between three to four wins. That's mm -hmm. kind of where you know uh, Cliff would. Yeah, that's where Cliff self-identified himself as being. Uh, playing a list he's skilled with, playing a list with reasonable understanding. That's where he's at. So we're trying to get him to the next box. We're not eventually the goal for everyone, obviously, is to get to the far right box, but that's that's too much. So what you mm -hmm. want to practice on is when you self-identify, you want to get one box over. So Cliff is in the middle, and we want him to get over to playing a faction you're expert in or competent playing a medalist. Again, right now, um, Death Watch is not a meta list. And the strength of playing a meta list is you are basically tapping into crowdsourcing, uh, wisdom of the crowds, hundreds of games, dozens of games, figuring they figure out what works, and the games get honed over time via a community playing into other skilled players. Unfortunately, we don't have that resource, so it means we're going to have to innovate. And by innovating, it means we're going to step on a couple rates, we're going to have a couple pitfalls. We're going to lose some games just because we... You know, while we're trying to innovate, we're going to bring some stuff that just doesn't work. Um, but because there's no path to follow, we're going to have to basically blaze that path ourselves. That's going to come with some some losses, though. Um, so we're going to basically try to make Cliff into an expert on Death Watch. Uh, two, playtesting. Uh, Cliff put playing to optimize your list faction. So down here, usually three wins. Uh, this is not a bad spot to be because the next... The next block is a really, really, really good one uh, just to improve generally as a player. Playing games to learn how to get better, testing specific matchups, and limit testing. Um, I do this a lot in practice games. If it's a matchup that I've played a bunch or a matchup I know well, I'll just start all those all those plays where I see and I'm like, ah, that's kind of risky or oh, that's kind of greedy and I don't want to I don't want to play it because it's a it's a low percentage play and it could cause me to lose a game that would have been a close win uh, if it goes if it goes south. 
that's where I'll actually play it, you know, like, or like try to like, you know, go into a unit that I don't think I have a chance to kill and just kind of see what happens, stuff like that, you know. Um, this is also where you, where you also just focus a lot on your movement, your deployment, like just things like that. Um, just working, generally working on your, like your fundamentals. Um, so that's a really good spot to be. Uh, meta knowledge um, and rules knowledge. Meta knowledge is a little ephemeral because it it will change as the metas change. Um, so I assume it'll change a little bit when we get the data slate in April, and it will definitely change when we go to tenth edition. Uh, Cliff puts strong understanding of meta, both local and wire. Some expectations with our top players that will bring. Uh, Cliff has a um, he has a real solid jumpstart on this because of his role with uh, stat check. So he knows in general, like kind of like what the high level of the game is happening. Um, so I don't think I would actually say that uh, we don't really need to work on this too much. You're in a you're in above average spot. You probably have a better understanding of the meta than like most high level players. So that's good because that's more bandwidth that you can put into these these first two call, uh, rows. And then scroll down to the fourth column. We'll do. Uh, rules knowledge. Uh, good rules, understanding of the game, good understanding of your own army, good understanding of other armies, but you may have gaps with certain armies. Um, so this is basically, I always joke around, like when you're playing an army that you haven't played, or you're playing an opponent you haven't played before, the, the question that you're always kind of beating around the bush, you're like, oh, do you hurt intervene? Do you do any out-of-phase movement? Do you auspice scale, blah, blah, blah. Basically, the... The the quiet part that you aren't saying out loud is like, hey, how are you going to fuck me? Um, <laughs> it's, generally, it's generally what it is. Uh, yeah. If you ever see Wolf of Wall Street where he's having that conversation with a Swiss banker, it's very like you're. They're both smiling, they're acting friendly, but it's kind of like, hey, how are you going to how are you going to fuck me? You know, like it's very much that kind of combo. Uh, Death Watch is a little bit more demanding than other um, than other Space Marine armies because. It will really reward you for knowing what the other space free chapters do and knowing like how to call um, their their chapter tactics or so on and so forth. Um, and then it'll also help. Um, it rewards you if you know what data sheets are really strong. I mean, you know, most of the time it's obvious because Death Watch can pick certain data sheets and get like bonus rerolls and stuff like that against it. And generally, it's obvious. Like if you play into an opponent and he brings like, you know. It's Harlequins, and you're like, okay, well, I'm just gonna re-roll against against like troops. Easy, yep. done. You know, something like that. Um, other ones, it's a little bit more nuanced, knowing like what's more important. You know, like, hey, there may be some data sheets where they only have they're spamming other data sheets, and they only have two of this one data sheet, but you really need the rerolls to happen versus these two. Like, maybe you pick it against that. Um, so knowing. Knowing what your army does, knowing what other space marines do, and knowing what other armies do is going to be really important for Death Watch. And that is going to cause your growth to be a little bit slower because as you're trying to improve your fundamentals, you're also allocating some bandwidth into knowing what other space marine chapters you aren't even playing do, and then knowing what other factions do. Yep. So, Ennis, do you want to weigh in on any of that? Yeah, let's just run generally from the top then, again. So scroll back down. Yep. So starting from the very beginning, Cliff, where would you generally across that top bar? Where do you put yourself? Um, in the list building. No, no, just across the very top. 
across like the like what oh the like wind. So this is so this is sort of why I was like, oh, it's like doesn't really work if RTTs within usually I usually win RTTs. So I'd say usually three wins is really the spot there. Yeah. So broadly following down that, it, it looked like you were mostly within, you know, within that band or one higher than it. You have a yeah. little bit better on the meta understanding, and then the rest yeah. of it you're kind of about where you are. So what, what that indicates is that you're you know, you're where you kind of belong as far as these aspects go. Like, how did you do at LVO? It was three, two, and one, right? Like, two, no, nah, because I um, tied a game. I was on retrospect, uh, yeah. I think. <laughs> In retrospect, should have won that game, yes. Uh, uh, anyway, so yeah, two, 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 and two, two, and one. No, yeah, two, two, and one because I dropped. So yeah, you're, it's kind of like the, the about usually three wins, like two wins, two wins and a draw is around about three wins. It's fairly, right, so it, it broadly seems like, you know, pu pushing up your aspects on this is going to be super important. So list building is the first one that we look at here and you're in the, like, you're playing a list you're skilled with, but it's not a super meta list and yeah. you're not an expert with it is, is really where you're at now. So yeah. the natural development for that is become an expert in your list, right? Which means the first thing you need to do is settle on the list. Yep. fairly self-explanatory find a list that you like develop it you know get to a point where you're happy with it and then really drill down into making sure that you have the play patterns of it on lock right the the way you become an expert in anything is by almost falling into like an autopilot function with it where you stop thinking about what you have to do to make your list function and start thinking about how you win the game with your list right you don't have to think about where do i need my auras this turn because you know what units need to have the auras you know what needs to be on objectives and what needs to be pressuring what's in reserve right and then you get past that and you get into the okay now that i know what my stuff does how do i use it to win the game yeah. um so dealing with all of that in the list building stage is like when we say list building it's really list competency right right i'm going to be purposely obtuse a bit and then in some ways like genuinely obtuse um when you're considering the list Granted, it's like a mishmash of all of these competing priorities all happening simultaneously. But like first stop, generally speaking, your building list is your first stop. Let me look at the secondaries. Let me look at the access that I have to primary scoring troops and what their level of ability to stay on objectives and existence spaces. No, that's out a plan not how I think about lists. But oh, interesting. There's, no, no, no. there's different ways. A lot. Everybody, I'm going to go with the, the very easy. Everybody thinks about list building differently. We've lost him for a second. I assume he's just doggone to do something. Everybody thinks about list building differently. Right. I always approach list building from the what's the unfair thing that my list does? What's its competitive advantage? Right. Yeah. It doesn't have to be secondary scoring. It doesn't have to be primary scoring. But right. there has to be something that you're better at than most other things that you can leverage to create game states where you are an advantage. Now, bingo. That I'm with Dennis be, on this one. That can be secondary scoring. It can be primary scoring. For example, that Slanesh list that Tim was talking about earlier is great at creating primary differential and yeah. it has pretty good secondaries, but it has other advantages. It's also punishingly fast. It has an army-wide four from portable saving and shooting that makes it very difficult to deal with in efficient ways in shooting. Um, then you move into something like the Castle list from 8th edition that everybody will remember. The competitive advantage there was that you had this Castle that could just sink resources into itself and output withering damage. And then you yep. supported that in whatever way possible. I always approach oh. from what is the most unfair thing my list can do right now. And then I go from that framework into how do I make this win games? And that's not always the same way. Now, in, once you get into that conversation, then you start thinking, how do I make this unfairness turn into secondary advantage? How do I make it turn into primary advantage? And sometimes the answer is you can't. Like the turn list from 
the, the from earlier in this edition. The way you turned it into secondary advantage was making sure they didn't have any units to score secondaries with. <laughs> like, hey, it worked. Um, so right now for me, I'm playing Iron Hands. My competitive advantage is that I have an incredibly powerful army-wide special rule in ignoring heavy penalties and rerolling ones that makes heavy weapons insanely good. Then I have the Volcat Contemptor. And those two are the competitive advantage. Those are the two things that I am focusing on and I'm saying, I have incredibly good Devastator Doctrine and I have this guy that you can't interact with. Yep. How do I then make that win games? Okay, well, what are good scoring options? Codex Warfare, cool, that sets in greatly. Now, okay, that's one secondary. One secondary doesn't win a game. Now I'm like, okay, oh, the moment's pretty good. Okay, I can take behind enemy lines. Oh, I can, you know, play um, shock tactics. How do I add in trading units to this list? How do I make it so that I can get units into the middle to score all the moment? So I can score points of secondaries that way. And then that leads you into, okay, well, I need some fast stuff. Okay, scouts and speeders are pretty good. They get some heavy weapons, so they're multidimensional. But also Vanguard veterans. Vanguard veterans are great at trading pieces. I don't have any melee in this list right now. Then you go into the step of how do I make Vanguard veterans better? Well, I run some melee chapter tactics, which seems counterintuitive with the rest of it. But then you realize that you have so many other advantages that you can afford to spend some of your list equity on making your combat better because you're so good at shooting anyway. And then that snowballs into what becomes then a functional list. Yep. But that all starts the advantage of what is Iron Hands actually good at? And then how do I make that win games? You can approach it from the other side. But what you're actually saying there is... How do I look at the secondaries and identify secondaries that are broken and then build lists around those, which is the same thing, but it's only one way of starting a list design. Mm -hmm. You're saying that secondaries, how do I make how do I pick the secondary that's the easiest to score? So for example, if you were starting from the beginning and you were like, I want to play behind enemy lines because the secondary is broken. Yeah. Well, then you probably start working backwards from well, what scores behind enemy lines the best? Harlequins? Right. Chin circle. And then, but that's a very different question, right? Because that that question starts with what secondary is the best and that's a really difficult way to play the game uh, and i don't recommend yeah. starting like that yeah if you're if your game plan is to basically not like as soon as you say as soon as you start list building um and then correct me if i'm wrong with this but as soon as you lead like your list building question with like oh what secondaries are good at that tells me that your game plan in a given list is you're going to basically try to like score an eight on primary and you're going to try to do your secondaries, and you're going to react to like what's happening in the game or a midboard, but you're not going to actively disrupt what your opponent is trying to do, right. unless they like give you something on your side of the board. And generally, especially in ninth edition, especially uh, I would say ever since, especially Nachman, uh, it's the the game has really rewarded people that disrupt their opponent very, very, very much so, especially those five objective missions. Yeah. Um, so. Somewhere around, um, and then this was my last plateau, like because I used to I used to play very much like that, and it was it was good up until a point because I would basically just create an impenetrable kind of board state and a very closed board state. Closed board state is basically where you're not really overextending, you're not really being interactive, um, and it's very much like here's my impenetrable castle, blah blah blah, blah. and then and then if my opponent made a mistake, I would then kind of jump out and try to shut the game down right then and there but i was very much kind of plateauing at like four and one because obviously you would get to that you would get to like those one or two people that either would just not make a mistake or they would out passively score you or uh they would just they would disrupt you while at the same thing while at the same time doing what they had to do um it's like a lot of martial arts they talk about like attacking and defending simultaneously that's generally what you need to be doing. You can't just let your opponent like missile something into you and then you deal with it and then you reset and then they missile something else into you and you deal with it and reset. You need to 
uh, and you'll see this like higher level games, both players are throwing like one to two uh, disruptive offensive pieces forward while at the same time dealing with whatever their opponent put into them. And then that's kind of like the hallmark of a good player is when they are simultaneously reacting to whatever came over to their side while pushing disruptive tendrils and pieces into their side. And that's why you kind of see people like Anthony or something like that where they have this chaotic board state where you have like several activations kind of going along like no man's land or stuff like that. And at that point, it's kind of, it gets very much, you can really start to see the skill come out when people are doing like sequencing better than the other guy or they're activating in a more optimal order than the other guy or they're able to get like, uh, like kind of like a two for one, like they multi-charge into two units and then move block a third one. And yep. then that kind of snowballs into a better game. Yep. Um, but we'll talk secondaries, second. Secondaries are pretty low down that list generally. And to Once be... you get into the like the in-game aspects, this yeah. starts coming up a lot more. But a lot of how you never lose the easy games is by getting more out of your units than your opponent is. Yeah. Which just means if you're using a unit aggressively, it should also be scoring you points. Or if you're using it to kill something, it should also be move blocking or screening. Or, you know, it, you're just trying to make sure that your unit is doing two things. Or if it's going to shoot something, you should charge after. Right? Yeah. These are all the kinds of things that you're trying to just get you know two activations instead of one or two things instead of one out of your units and that just when you play a proper game like that it just feels like you have more stuff than your opponent yeah um but that's all gameplay stuff it kind of it comes into list building when you're trying to make sure that you have units that have options but that's less important at this stage mm -hmm. of things um you're really for list building you're talking about finding a competitive advantage over the rest of the wider meta and obviously all of these things are super late together right yeah. none of this list exists in, none of this none of these topics exist in isolation um, becoming an expert in the faction is going to come through playtesting and meta knowledge, um, yep. for example. Yeah. But yeah, it's really just about making sure once you get that thing, then you really drill down into making sure you're getting the most out of it. And that's where being an expert in your faction comes in. Yeah. And Cliff will be able to get there because Cliff has a lot of baseline with Deathwatch already. He just really doesn't have that list coalesced right now because Cliff's not been playing Deathwatch because he's been playing Knights recently. And he knows Deathwatch, but he's been playing Deathwatch not since... Like Kill Team Strike Force went away, right? It was probably the last time you yeah, played previously. Yeah. I had a couple so, games in on Vassal with the AOR. And this is exactly and this is very this is very attainable too, because Cliff, I think and this is also really the strong part of the community or team is Cliff has been able to surround himself with a lot of people who constantly talk about the game at the high level. Yeah. And because of that, um instead of having to work on these four pre-event gameplay aspects, you really only have to work on two. Um yeah. List building and playtesting, and you're already halfway kind of across the screen as well. So when you're you're kind of in the almost like the inconsistent five win column, I would say for as far as uh, as far as meta knowledge, meta knowledge, hey, as far as pre meta knowledge, yeah, yeah, yeah. Pre yeah. event aspects, you could be as far, but if you're crap on all the other ones, it doesn't matter. That's yeah, the exactly. important thing to remember true. on these ones as well is that we yeah. didn't discuss is that these are an average, right? All of right. these will represent players at some stages of their development. However, you will you will find there are players who are significantly better at some of these things and significantly worse at others, right? So you might be you might be the best player in the world on your list, right? And but you might have absolutely no knowledge of what any other army in the game does. And you could very easily be completely at the far right on list building and at the complete far left on meta knowledge. And that'll average out because all of these aspects, they're not equally weighted, but they're evenly weighted. Yeah. Um, they all impact your event results. And you'll not find anybody quite to that extreme because to be the best player in the world on your faction, you probably need more 
than the bare minimum on a lot of these. But there were people who are better than their bracket on some of these things and worse on others. And that leads to inconsistency because you'll get events where you coast on some of your aspects and you'll get events where those aspects aren't enough to cover you because you'll play a tough matchup and not have the experience to get through. But you might Speaking play about, where you just play the easy ones and it's fun. Speaking of inconsistency uh, and then meta-knowledge, this, uh, this is something else I want to talk about because um, when you show up to an event, uh, you and your list are basically a team. And I know some people always like to be like, well, I can make X faction work. And it's kind of like, okay, but <laughs> why are you why are you doing that? Because again, I'm gonna borrow terminology for from League of Legends. There's really only three types of lists. There's there's meta lists, there's counter meta lists, and there's off meta lists. And off meta is a very nice way of saying that you're kind of throwing. Now, sometimes off meta lists do well. Usually it's by accident and not by design. Like you're that running guy in spite just, of your list. Yes, you're winning in spite of the list. Counter meta um, is interesting and sometimes what I like to play because it's uh, it feels if you're trying to snowflake, a lot of people will try to snowflake and run an off meta list, um, and then they if they get lucky they'll win in spite of it. But if you're trying to like feel big brained, the best way in my opinion to do it if you're really trying to do it is do a counter meta list where you are. You are getting the advantage of the fact that no one is building for you because you're not a medalist. And your list has um, either by by design or just by circumstance, you have good matchups into some of the meta uh, into the actual some of the medalists. Um, I would consider right now the Slanesh Rust list to be a counter medalist um, because no one people are building. A little bit for demons but demons are lucky that they have several strong builds um and i think right now people are the builds that people are thinking about are the monster mash mixed demons or the pure zinch build which i don't think i don't actually think is a good singles build i think it's okay on teams but i don't think it's a good singles build um the, the real the real trick, trick of that though is the counter metalists are really just metalists or off metalists that nobody knows which one they are yet yeah um right. you are kind of just like you're either pushing the envelope or you're you know just not doing something right and it's very easy to be like this list is a counter metalist and we've definitely seen lists that come out because they are very good into one specific thing and then that thing dies off and they're flashing the pan and they're gone but a lot of the time what Correct. happens is people develop a counter metalist bring it into the meta and they, you know, win a couple of events with it or they do really well with it. Nobody's really planning for it. And then suddenly that's a medalist because it always was. That didn't know it. That happens as well. And that's, and that's correct. A lot of counter, a lot of uh, building counter medalists or running counter medalists is just simply timing. Like if you just see it before everyone else does, because there's a lot of people that are doing their net listing. And I do think net listing has gotten a negative connotation, but I think because in general, the internet and the community has gotten so much interconnected idea sharing and thought sharing happens so much faster now. And what a lot of people are doing is they're not net listing lists, they're net listing concepts. They're figuring out these chunks or these cores of lists that work. And then maybe they're changing the last like 500 to 200 points. Again, like I said, unfortunately we don't really have that capability. Maybe we can find like one or two people that are doing well with Death Watch, but for the most part, we're gonna have to innovate. And then let me see if I can figure out how to share my screen. Because that is actually a pretty good segue. Yeah, and then we'll here come we back go. and play testing in a bit. <laughs> so, so oh, on my screen here, I already have it pulled up, uh, and you're this need is to zoom in a bit. Okay, let me. Where'd it go? Dashboard. 
So I'll zoom in once I get there. Matchup matrix. Unfortunately, I'm tabbed. It forces me to tab out. So let me know when it looks good. How's that look? Yeah, it's better. It's better. Go more. How about that? Yep, perfect. Maybe one more. Okay. Sorry for any podcast listeners. So unfortunately, yeah, unfortunately, this is where you would want to be a live stream watcher because I have, I have basically. Yeah, you can hit up metadata dashboard on statcheck.com and then uh, hit the tab that says matchup matrix and then navigate down to the death watch uh, row to see how so, bad things are for us. As someone who has um, like five to six factions that I see on, a lot of times this is what I do when I think about uh, taking a faction to a to an event. Um, sometimes... Uh, Sometimes, uh, like my last GT, I took World Eaters instead of Orcs. I felt Orcs were the better faction at the time, but it was my first outing with World Eaters. I'm a big World Eaters fan. I also wanted to test it and get five good testing games, so I opted to take a slightly, in my opinion, what was a slightly worse matchup or slightly worse uh, list for the meta. Um, even though it was, World Eaters are strong and I felt they were strong, I did feel like Orcs would give me a better um, option to win the event. But this here is generally how I do it. I go to the um, the matchup matrix, and you can highlight your faction, and then you can click this little thing here, and it'll it'll um, put it in order left to right, based off your differential. And I will actually open up um, when I do this. I'll actually open up a like an Excel spreadsheet, and I'll make three columns, and I'll put I'll put green, yellow, red as far as my matchups and that's, and I'll actually build a list of all my factions and all my matchups. And I'll say, okay, I have my green matchups, I have my red matchups. And then I'll usually, it depends kind of what the average score is, but if they're within like five to 10 points differential, I'll put them as like a yellow matchup or what I call skill matchup um, where it's kind of like, Hey, this isn't quite like a coin flip, uh, but player skills, player skills really going to come into effect here, or maybe like the actual, like what the list build is. Um, so unfortunately, looking through these, when I look at these um, all these matchups, I see like total games one, total games one, total games three, total games three, and that's not uncommon um, when you look at the far left and the far right of these matchups because you'll have like some stuff like Grey Knights versus Imperial Fists, and it'll show like a thirty-four percent win differential, but your look will be like one game, you know, from like a year ago or something like that. But we can kind of generally get an idea here. Unfortunately, what this is showing me when I'm seeing like total games one, total games one, total games one in the middle, one, six, (laughs) four. It's not even that. Normally, when you look at most factions, these are at least double digits. You know, here we're starting to get where it's a little bit better, where we're getting to like six games, nine games, one game, five games, two games. So in the middle, we're starting to get a little bit better data. Um, But unfortunately, we're we're kind of flying blind a little bit. Let me show you uh to put a contrast with it. Like I'm currently playing Chaos Demons. Actually, I'll do Chaos Knights because Chaos Knights are generally all running the same build. So let me do it this way. Uh so again, we have our kind of our outliers, like White Scars, we have like one game. Over here, Raven Guard, we have one game. These are generally kind of our outliers, but roughly around here. Yeah, we can start seeing, like, we get some real data. So Space Wolves, 30 games. That is a hard red matchup. Average score differential of, you know, of uh, 21 in Space Wolves' favor. Um, we go over here. Actually, Death Watch, hey, you're doing pretty good into them. 
Um, <laughs> let's go Death Guard games. So well, I would I would put our limit, but I would put our limit here. Uh, Death Guard is kind of like our upper limit with twenty one games. Um, all these these three to the right are not statistically significant. And then over here, space was our lower limit with um, with obviously the mirror excluded, and then white scars not being significant. So it looks like wolves, um, wolves guard salamanders were iron hands, custodies, dark angels. Um, those are kind of like our hard red match. Chaos demons. Wow, that that really does seem like everything that's good right now, doesn't it? Everything that's good. <laughs> you'll, <laughs> well, you'll you'll see this a lot as you click through. Some of these are kind of like, well, is this? But that's why why the good factions are good because when you go to those factions, and we'll see it. We we'll go to Chaos Demons next. So Chaos Demons, this actually isn't terrible. Um, it's at the upper limit of what I would consider a skill matchup, which would be a 10-10 on differential scoring because you're within 10 points, so 9.7. But you can play a game here, but it's gonna you're gonna be you're gonna be uphill a little bit. But it's definitely a you I would consider it almost a skill based game. Leaves of Otan, surprisingly, um, this probably just because of the nerfs taking effect. Um, if you play around the forts, you know, like you have a way to deal with the forts, you probably actually do okay that game. Tau Empire, I think we're doing they're dealing a little bit with abandonment issues right now, but the Tau is not bad either. Uh, one game here, with Crimson Fist, not statistically significant. World Eaters. Um, this one's actually pretty good because maybe they have to make a lot of charges through Geist Storm and you they only get lose shot a the little shit. bit against World Eaters. That's why Chaos Knights aren't good right now, guys. People are so gaslighting each other on this. <laughs> the uh, I'm just I'm just going pure off the data. The uh, no, and then the, the data says you lose like sixty percent of your matchups. <laughs> the Chaos Knights are uh, yeah. I'm just trying. I'm just trying to show how you. I mean, we could pick any faction here, but yeah, the all the good factions are here to the left. Um, this blue here also, like I said, we're getting getting a little bit close. Pure Knights, they're a little bit favored. And then, yeah, we don't actually see it start getting the positive until we get over here to Craft World, Orcs, Thousand Suns. Now let's pick a an actual like meta faction. So Chaos Demons. And we can it's see the start. It's almost everything. We can see the start the start difference here. Um, so again, Death Watch, not statistically. Statistically significant, Raven Guard, not st uh, statistically significant. The only hard red matchup is World Ears, and not even by a whole lot, like almost 14 points. Um, and then the lower limits of skill matchup, we have Gene Sturkle and Custodes. Jakari, um, surprisingly, I mean, I can, I can see that matchup going well in Jakari's uh, favor if they play well, but... You know, you, you can outscore them pretty well in secondary. It's important to remember there is a hard limitation with this for demons, and the demons do have so many different builds. Whereas something that like is correct. Hands or something like that, so we don't... you have a lot more singularity across what exists as a dark list. Yeah. And so demons can be very difficult to gauge this from. So when you're so when you're playing when you're playing this, again, we don't know what you know build they're doing. All right, let's let's do something. So Cliff stops undermining me or uh in a stuff's undermining me every five minutes. Let's go to Iron Hands because we know what they're like. <laughs> so no, I'm, I'm yeah, great. <laughs> We're just broken. It's fantastic. <laughs> As you can see here, we have a little bit of pink and we have a whole lot of blue. All yeah. right. This is what this is why uh yeah. the top level meta the Dark Angels line is worse. Because this some is, Iron yeah, Hands players are throwing like playing base Iron Hands. Exactly. Um Dark Angels, same thing. It's literally all blue. It's great. Uh, Orcs is a pretty good one because I would say like 95% of people are playing Goth Rush. So this is actually a pretty pretty Very good one. Right yep. 
So yeah. unfortunately, you can definitely identify trends through this stuff. It's just important to remember it in context. Is this is an indicator of what your faction's good at right now and what you should yeah. be building for. So like if you're playing Chaos Demons right now, um, you should be thinking about why you're bad into those lists and what you can do to mitigate that. That all comes into the list building and the meta and all side of things. Correct. Yeah. Um, whereas is, you maybe a... don't have to focus as much on the matchups you're good at. Like if we go back to if we look at works here, like you're already pretty good into you know sisters and Grey Knights and dozens of them to think of some good meta armies like Gene Sir Cults. You probably don't need to accommodate much for Gene Sir Cults in your list building process, but you probably should be thinking about uh, mechanic, about Dark Angels, because you're on average losing to them. That's where you start using this information to really help your list writing. Yep. And this is and this is what I do, like I said, when I'm if I have several armies that are kind of close to each other, I will just it just it helps you get knowledge that you already know subconsciously and gets it out in front of you and bring it to your consciousness. And this is just kind of like just one of several things that I do where I will actually make an Excel spreadsheet with like the five or six factions I'm considering bringing to an event and I'll put out the hard red matchups, the hard green matchups, and then like the matchups that are within like 10 points and they're yellow. And I'll literally like look through them all and be like, okay, well, which one do I feel most comfortable with? And it'll be, it'll be pretty obvious too when you, when you actually sit down and like look at it in that way. And then also if you're playing like a smaller GT, like a 35 person or less GT, this is also, you can add some extra weight to matchups. If like there is like one or two people that you know, you have to go through, like there's a local guard player who is, who you know is good. Um, and you know, you'll have to go through them every single event. Then maybe if you want to maybe go into whatever faction has the best matchup into that versus whatever one has the best matchups overall, or if you have a hard red matchup, but you know, no one, no one is really bringing them or the people that are bringing them, you know, you're better than them, or they're going to bring like a suboptimal list. Then maybe you can kind of like assign less weight to that matchup. So hopefully Cliff, we will, uh, we'll get you on here to start bumping up these numbers. Yeah. <laughs> right. Should we jump back to the matrix and talk through some more of Cliff, some more of how we're growing, how we're looking at getting Cliff better at these things? Yeah. Sure. Because the next one was playtesting, I believe. Yeah. So, Cliff, why don't you start us with once you've got that up? What you understand playtesting to mean? So, give me one sec. Right, that should be good to go. Yep. The so it sort of de it depends on the goal, right? So there's there's like I assume a set of sub goals within the broad notion of play testing, where you might start out broadly speaking, like does this work? Like does this work in general? Um, cool, let me find a buddy that I know is like at least as good as I am, or like preferably better, uh, and walk through turn one, turn two of the game. Like let's just like crank this out, and see whether it like can achieve primary can disrupt the opponent's plan, does actually execute the secondary plan that I thought it could do, um, and is good as existing, good at existing on the board. Um, and if those things are true, then like, okay, cool. Maybe we're on to something. Um, thanks, Bonsai Kitty. The, and then there's like sort of like smaller oriented playtesting issues, right? So then there's like, Okay, let's walk through, like, I think this is how a combat phase would go uh, in, like, a given scenario. Like, I'm on a multi-charge two or three units with this unit. And this, this is, like, Death Watch specific because they can build really wonky close combat units with access to a lot of, like, different abilities, different base sizes, different movement within the combat phase. Um, so just, like, all right, let me see whether this, like, plays out the way that I think it would. 
sort of like phase by phase testing. And then I think towards the end of all that, just to save yourself some time after like re-racks and like running these things, you're like, all right, let's just like play a game and see how this goes. Um, and then you do it again, you evaluate whether or not like, did it go well? Why did it go well? Was it by accident or was it because I like actually executed on the plan and had the tools that I needed to, to execute on that plan? Um, or like, was it just like, I got lucky with my dice and like my opponent blew it on a couple of key rolls or a couple of key decisions. Uh, conversely, if you lose, like, why did you lose? Did you lose because you made a, like this unit that you chose in the list to do a job actually sucks at that job. Uh, did you lose because you thought that a, uh, given primary plan and like your unit's ability to exist there actually like that's not going to work it's too lethal you totally misjudged how durable it was um and there's just like sort of above board stuff like is this in fact did i build a list that's actually just too much for me to keep track of realistically and i need to bring it down so that i'm able to actually execute with expert decision making on all of the options that i have available to me and then like sort of work your stamina up to a point where Hopefully you can make lots of decisions in real time over the course of the whole game and like, you know, a three to five uh, game event. That part is, is so huge. Anyone that's seen like any list I've run, it's very rarely are they, are they complicated? You know, I, I'm with Anthony on this one where I think just a little bit of aggressiveness um, and, and leaning into like disruption, um, which is usually just speed. I, I like I like speed I like power and I like redundancy yeah. um, because those let me those let me disrupt uh, my opponent um, it lets me apply pressure before they're ready to receive that pressure um, because if you go into them a full turn earlier than they are expecting and then you don't really let up uh, often they're usually out of position if they made any kind of mistake in deployment where something their units are out of position to support and you're actively collapsing a flank and suppressing their primary. Um, they're not really in a position to respond to that, let alone disrupt what's on your side of the board. Um, and then if you bring redundancy, that helps you get back into the game if you make mistakes. Um, you didn't you didn't know that they had a buff to give like an extra couple inches of movement on this unit and then like you lose the unit to a charge or yep. they're able to get an angle that you didn't think they were gonna get or they had a stratagem to make that unit shoot a little bit harder than you expected, or they just, you just didn't, or like they moved twice, something like that, or you just didn't, something happened that you just didn't see, or like even a dice spike, um, something you just didn't plan for, um, you have the ability to absorb that, you know, kind of like you stagger a little bit and you just kind of like, okay, I'm not going to tilt. Um, I'm just going to get back into the game, you know, and then keep, keep plugging in if your list has redundancy then you can absorb a hit or two while you're uh, executing your game plan and i think that's huge it's also less mental load and it's more you can focus on playing your opponent playing your opponent's army playing the um the primary and the secondaries and the board itself yeah and it's to a point you made earlier i think that like part of the reason the death watch performance has not to date looked as good as it could is because like one folks aren't necessarily doing they're not doing that process that you identified earlier of like what is the most broken stuff in your book do more of that um That's a, in large part due to like there's so many opportunities to get too cute in the death watch book that it's like hard to stay narrowly focused on like what is at what actually in here slams and how do i do more of that more often 
Cool. That's a good segue. What what does what does Death Watch do better than everyone else? Because I do I'd also notice that like when you get cute with Death Watch, they get expensive. So it's like a double-edged sword too, or like you, it doubles down on like the badness. What, what does what is what do they what do they do like besides the choosing your own doctrine, which is something I've heard Innis talk several times about being not particularly strong when you can just when Iron Hands can death and Dark Angel can just camp in Dev Doctrine all game long. Um, there has to be other strengths besides just picking your doctrines. I know some of the kill teams can do some pretty cool stuff. Like what what do they do that other Marines don't? Well, all right. Well, before before I give my sense of that, which is probably going to be off, uh, Ennis, is any of that playtesting play purpose stuff, is any of that off, both for me and for people? So, that that? I, I don't think it's off. I just want to, like, dial it in on where you are specifically on it. So, for me, when when I'm playtesting, the, the first, like, important thing for it always is to reduce mental load later, right? Which is something you touched on. Is It's all about creating those patterns for yourself where you just get an intuitive understanding of how your list operates on the table so that you can move past. You're never going to be winning the game while you're always thinking about what you're doing is, is ultimately you should be able to hit a point where you're able to think about what you need to do next, right? Um, the, the nuance in that is that if you have to figure out what you need to be doing to make your list function every turn, you're going to be using some of your mental bandwidth on the basics. Where do I need to put units? What auras do I need active? What stratagems do I have to use to make my units do things? And then you get caught up in the, like, what stratagems do I have access to? As opposed to, what stratagems do I need right now for this situation? That's what playtesting is about for me. It's about, you know, familiarizing myself with the options my book has, the way that I play my list, the way that my list does things, what it looks like when my list wins. And then when I go into the game, instead of thinking about, oh, how do I win this game? I start thinking about, how do I make this game look like a game where i win right so instead of being like okay so i usually win games where uh so if i play this a bunch i might end up in a situation like usually when i win games with my iron hands it's because i've hard alpha them and i get a lot of time to score points in the end game um okay how do i make this a hard alpha if i can't make it a hard alpha how do i win the games where i don't do that that's where you start looking into the the full follow-through if that's what playtesting is about it's about understanding your win conditions and then creating those win conditions in game scenarios um what you then get to is like where you had yourself, which was at your like playing to optimize your list of faction is because you're still learning those processes. That That's where you are at the moment is that you're still trying to get to the point where you have those patterns down and you're not having to think about the way you're playing the game. You're thinking about what you're doing next. And that's when you get into the next stage, which is like learning how to get better. That's where you're getting into the making sure I understand what my list is and finding my win conditions and, uh, and analyzing and understanding your win conditions in those situations. And then testing specific matchups and limited testing is about finding the ways you can break that parity into games that are hard or into situations that are uncommon. Um, Tim talked about it earlier, where you might just throw something at the wall to see what happens, right, in a practice game. Because, well, there's not a lot of value in playing a practice game that you know you win. Because you might, you'd probably know that, you know, 10 demonettes with the icon stratagem fairly reliably kills five space marines, right? But what's the chances that six does it, right? That's the questions that you start getting into. What if it's storm shields instead? Like, does ten do it through storm shields? Does ten do it if they have a stratagem that maybe makes it defensive strats? Um, understanding that information and not having to, you know, really think about those things and knowing the likelihoods of those plays is what playtesting is about. So for Tim, you might see, like, how valuable to Tim is six fiends? How valuable are three fiends? Right? 
everybody kind of has a baseline understanding of what their units do when they're at peak efficiency, right? So you might know what happens to a 10-man Death Watch squad that's got all of the buffs on it, and you can do the plus one attack strategy in Xenos, and it's got chapter max interactive, and you've got the CP to chuck it into White Scars, so you can advance and charge it, right? But what if it's the late game, and you know, it's turn four, you run out of CP, you've got one CP left that you really have to do, you really have to reroll advance early to get onto an objective. How much damage does a six-man squad do? Do you really know? And that's what playtesting is all about, is building that those interactions in your head where you've played enough games with the, you can intuit those things and you can stop having to think about it in the moment and start fixing problems with the resources you have available to you. Um, because you don't need to playtest the games you win on turn one. It's not super valuable. You need to playtest the games you win on turn four and five. Uh, and that's the difference maker between going four and one at a tournament and going five and oh at a tournament or going four and one and three and two is winning the scrappy late game. And playtesting is about building to having a better late game for me that that's really what it's all about there's also a degree of like having a matchup understanding like you should probably know if something is like a hard red matchup that if you go first and you hard alpha you're going to kill like three deathwing terminators and it doesn't matter and you need to find another way to win the game um that that like there is merit in that but that's a much earlier stage of playtesting than the stage that you're at you probably know what happens when deathwatch don't kill anything um but if you're trying to learn a new faction, then that comes in. But when, once you've played, once you've got a bit of experience, it's really about the late game rather than about the, the early and mid game. Yeah, I uh, I always I always push people to do rerex sessions, and I think inevitably there's always someone that says like, oh, like there's value in the late game stuff like that too. And I'm like, yes, there is, but also know your audience. Like I'm not people that are asking me this question are usually trying to get to a point where they have a playable weight game on the regular or trying to just not throw those first two or three yeah. rounds. You've got to make that's who my answer is value in late game. Yeah. Correct. If you are still yeah. at the stage where you're losing games in deployment, you don't need to practice. Your you don't game. need to play that out. Yeah. yeah. Just um, yeah. For, for me, if I'm playing a game on turn four, that's still super interesting. There is a ton of value in playing that out, even if it's going to be a pain in the backside, yeah. because I don't get a lot of opportunity to practice crappy late games just because of the nature of the armies I play and the level of skill that I'm playing at now. A lot of my tournament games end on turn one and turn two. Yeah. Those scrappy late games are super valuable, and you do not get a lot of opportunity to play the games where you are fighting for every point. And if you can get those in practice, that's what will start making you that level of player, right? Is that you win the games where you know you go to you know you've, you're both working with two hundred points with two hundred resources and three CP or two hundred points of resources and three CP, and you really got to make a game win happen here. Um, that's that's where playtesting becomes super powerful for the like the future players yeah so where do you uh, not having gone through that where do you place yourself on playtesting probably in the like i've got i've got a pretty good sense of like how the game's gonna go the first few turns but i think i think like you're describing i probably need to focus on like what do like I had a bad turn three and then turns four and turn five in, in general, what do those look like when I'm like down limited resources and I've got to make some tough decisions. That's probably where I need to focus. I'd say I need to focus on my play testing. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Cool. And awesome. I think we're going to, we're gonna, it definitely sounds like you're going to be in this kind of middle area. Like you're, yeah. um, you're playing games to learn how to get better testing specific matches and limit testing, but also because, um, because there's no real like pioneers or or anyone you really draw from like maybe a couple individuals but um there's no broad concepts that have been 
tested across dozens, if not hundreds of games that we can point to and be like, well, that for sure works. Let's build a core around that. Mm-hmm. So we're going to have to do a little bit of the, this section in the middle playing to optimize your list faction as well. Yeah, um, yeah. And then we get, we'll, we'll go into like list building on, uh, on the next episode for sure. As we try to like uh, get some games in on TTS and build some lists, everything. Fred Fortman definitely kind of showed up and answered our question about what death watch does yeah. well. And we'll definitely draw on that when we start building lists for next episode and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, it definitely sounds like your guys are kind of lagging a little bit on secondaries, which immediately tells me we're gonna have to lean. We're gonna have to lean into pressure and primary play, yep. which means like lethality. You know. Yep. And there are ways. Um, let's, I mean, yeah, that'll come later. There are ways around that, like like br- in, intentionally breaking our super doctrine is like an option on the table that would like open up Codex Warfare so we can just be in heavy all game uh, or for as long as possible before we make the switch sort of turn three, four, and five or more in close combat. And, like, you never switch. Build. Switching is fake. Never switch. <laughs> <laughs> In general, in general, it's better. It's better to lean into. I found in 40k, it's better to just double down on a strength rather than try to shore up a weakness. Yeah. Um. You want to be aware of your weaknesses and know what your game plan is going to be in that situation or those yeah. matchups. But uh, generally, all the best lists have doubled or tripled down on their strength and just leaned into that. Like Slanesh yeah. Rush doesn't deal with high toughness, but like in the guard, I just kill everything that's not T8. That's not a rush. Um, yeah. And then if it's something like Deathwing Terminators or Chaos Knights or something like that, I mean, luckily Chaos Knights are mostly T7, so I can actually kill them. Um, I don't have to deal with too much T8, but if I if it's hot, a bunch of high toughness stuff I can't kill, then I know that I'm on a timer and I just go hard into like primary suppression and just hope that, you know, because it's a five-turn game, that I can delay the inevitable of me essentially getting tabled. Uh, so let's go down to meta knowledge, man. Where do you where do you think you stand on that? Um, so I think like Annis alluded to this earlier, because I literally make the dashboard, like I know what's good and what's not, and what's good into what else and what isn't. And I spent enough time talking to very good players to know like sort of with it. So both like what are the interesting matchups within those general faction of faction like truths? Uh, and then like within that, what are the sub-faction? things that are going on um, where the actual like real spice is happening and what do the records look like for players who are playing those things, right? So it's one thing to be, world leaders, for example, like slams, right? If you are at an RTT um, or you're going into round four of a five round event so far, it appears that, like world leaders is like great which is, you know, this is typically the case with mono phase armies, as great as they are in a mono phase. And like, they have a particularly strong secondary game, which helps it like builds directly into the way that the army plays. Um, they're really good. But then you hit a point where you're like, oh no, I have to deal with like any one of the number of multi-phase armies that are like equally broken, but across more parts of the game um, against higher skilled opponents. And you, you know, you sort, sort of start to lose stamina which is why like world leaders are performing really well but aren't necessarily like out here and like, like ending the world in the same way that like master artisans world would arrange iron hands is or in the same way that dark angels broadly is um yeah so i sort of know it's again this is difficult in this case because death watch's player base is so small that it's it's really challenging to know truly like 
given a really skilled player and a really highly tuned list, what would performance look like in practice across hundreds of games? We just like don't have that access, despite what Fred described in the YouTube comments uh, access to. And for this is for the people that are listening on podcasts, like damage for hammers, really fast moving infantry squads, bikes that can act like infantry, shockingly resilient infiltrators that like have eliminators stuck in them, um, access to a five up up, five up feel no pain, like on demand, um, access to advance and charge in a bunch of units, like surprising access to moving infantry across the board instantly whenever you feel like it. Uh, there's like, there is stuff in there we just haven't, again, because of the cute, inherent cuteness tendencies of the faction, haven't really isolated like what is optimal and how to how to spam it. So yeah. what do you, Tim, let's do this one for you. What do you understand meta knowledge to mean? Because in there I have wider and local meta. What do you, what do you like take those to mean? Um, so wider and local meta is, for me, like wider meta would be global or at least national. And then local meta would be essentially um, whatever applies to whatever event you're going to, whether it's an event you're traveling to or a regional or whatever. And I think knowing the difference between those two is also important because most local metas are generally at least somewhat informed by the wider meta. So a typical local meta ARTT, you will have so you'll have your wider meta where it's like, hey, Dark Angels, Iron Hands, Demons, blah, 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 whatever. And then you'll have your local meta. And your local meta, you'll have like maybe like 50% of the people in an RTT have like just any clue about what's going on competitively. And two-thirds of those, of the people that have a clue, will be like paying attention to the wider meta and what's happening. And then like one-third will actually understand like the how, what, and why, and stuff like that, you know? But even though you maybe only have a fraction of your local meta that is paying attention to the wider meta, if they're playing enough games and and that ecosystem is playing into each other, their decisions that they're bringing down from the wider meta will then cause ripples as everyone else in the local meta reacts to it. Which can, which is where like these kind of like weird like these these jokes about like weird local metas kind of come from. It's usually something like that happening. Um, but you have to know when, when generally when the variance is happening in your local meta. Maybe there's a guy who like we have a guy locally who was playing guard and he was putting up like 80 percent win rates locally when guard was on their eighth edition book and were considered bad and pretty much abandoned by the community. And he was giving us like really, really, really hard games because he found like the one combo in that book that worked. And he was just a fundamentally very sound player and knew how to disrupt what you were doing. And he had all the hallmarks of a great 40K player. So I had to take medalists and adapt them to beat guard back when like no one was really like taking that kind of stuff, you know? That would be like a situation where like knowing what's good, knowing what people are going to bring, because meta just doesn't necessarily mean powerful. It just means like popular, but one usually drives the other. But locally also knowing who you have to go through is extremely important. Yeah, that that's absolutely spot on. Wider is what everyone's playing. Local is what the people you're playing against are playing. Um, if you live in Anthony's meta, uh, you're going to play against world leaders if you want to win a tournament. Um, and knowing that is very important. If you're going to play in, you know, if you play in Dundee, Scotland, and you go to an RTT, I'm probably there. Like, you just kind of know that, which means that you should probably account for what I'm going to play if you want to win the event. 
um, and you know, built to beat me or built to beat the other Team Scotland guys who are going to be there, um, which isn't necessarily always going to be the same thing as what's good in the wider meta because every event is a microcosm of the wider meta, right? Um, you show up to LVO and the meta is going to broadly look like what the wider meta does because there's so many people. But you take any random 32 people out of there and put them into a GT, that meta could look completely different. There could have been, you know, a random 32 sampling of people that event could have had no thousands on the flamers or no Terranids or no blood and no blood angels, or it could have been, you know, 16,000 Suns players. Um, and only you'll, because most events at this scale are local events, you will probably know, like, the three good players at your tournament. What are what's, what's that guy been painting recently? What did he post in the hobby Discord? You know, he's super proud of his Desolation Marines. He's probably showed up with us. Um, and having an understanding of that and doing that li very limited amount of background understanding will help your, you know, your gameplay in a local event. Yeah. And locally, I've got a good understanding. It's like there's a very good Inari player, there's a very good Tau player, there's a very good uh, Sonic Demons player. I'm like, if I go to an RTT, I'm going to play one of these people the top spot and that's just what it is that makes cool. sense what's the uh next row we can uh, go through that rules and knowledge this is cool we can go through that and then we'll go into the questions all right the um, knowledge is really just like a baseline like I, I would almost say rules knowledge is like a checkbox that you have to hit um yeah. where you have to just hit an hit a point like you once you meet the minimum level on this it doesn't really go away unless you load at the k um, like if you stop following 4K for a bit, this goes away and you have to re-up. But this is, I would almost describe this as like a subscription service. Like as long as you're paying the monthly tax of reading the new rules um, and, you know, having a based understanding and making sure you know your codex and the data sheets you're using, rules knowledge is probably the easiest of these things to develop because you don't need to play 4K to develop rules knowledge. Yeah. yeah. If you stop playing next week and then you start playing again six months into 10th, like just know that you're going to be several squares back from where you, you got to pay six months of that subscription service again, plus a little bit of upkeep because <laughs> you've not played for six months. That's really all it is, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. It seems super banal to say it that way, but it really is just keeping tabs on what's happening in the game. Um, yeah. You probably don't need to read Warp Meld Pact, but you probably do need to read the Guard Codex. Is is really right. the that's all. That's all. Rules knowledge is. Um, yeah. Yeah. Cliff, you had yourself at like gaps with certain armies. Is that just because you don't see them very often, like you don't get to play against them, or you're just you know never really sat down with the Codex and never sat down with a list and just try to break it down why it works and what the interactions I mean, it's, are. It's it's both honestly. So it's but it's both not running into it locally, and also like not reading the book. Like like Admech, I still have no. I'm like I don't know. I, I still <laughs> I'll be honest. I'll be honest. I have still kind of like let Admech slide. I know like the, the boogeyman stuff, and that's about it. Like every time yeah. an Admech person like goes through the command phase, my eyes glaze like, over. Okay, man. Like, I'm yeah, just I'm silently saying, like, please, I hope you're not taking me for a ride. And I just kind of let it yeah, go. Totally. Um, but then same we, same part with like GSC. I'm like, I don't know, seems cool. <laughs> we can definitely we can definitely fix some of this with our TTS. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you're in the vibe check league, but like you, He's you and I, are, I'm not. Yeah. Okay. I well, know Admec. I'm ready. I know Admec because I, I can lost <laughs> them often enough that I was like, nope. Learn I can. This. I can. <laughs> Cliff, I can link up to you like when you have some spare time, and we can get some TTS games. So that way, we can kind of like have like Cl Cliff's out there playing Vassal, Tim. You can fix it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we'll, we'll again. We'll play some TTS games uh, before the next show. We'll definitely work on this. But me personally, like everyone's approach to this is different. I'm very much like a tactile learner. Like I don't, I can read something a million times. I won't know until I see it in practical application. Uh, I like to generally like when a new book comes out or 
or even if it's not a new book comes out, but like one of my the list I'm playing, I go through that matrix mate uh, that matrix matchup, and it's a yellow or red um, matchup, and I'm like, oh, I need to kind of like know what this does. I'm a little bit shaky on it. I will actually go back to because usually they they stay pretty evergreen. Um, you just gotta sprinkle in the data slate like buffs or nerfs, whatever. But I'll actually go back to the Goonhammer articles. They're very they're very well written for getting like the high level kind of tops. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what does this army do? I don't need like the hard numbers, but what does it do? Yeah. What's the play style? What's the play pattern? And I'll go read through that. I'll go check the data slate. Um, and then like maybe if I need to drill down a little bit deeper, I'll go into Wapedia. You know, it's very nice because you could you can go into any Discord. Um, any good Discord, and you can kind of see what people are buzzing about. If you see the same things over and over again, like GSC, they're like, oh, they keep talking about neophytes, they keep talking about jackals over and over again. Maybe yeah. I should know what those data sheets do. Um, I don't need to know what the army does yet, but let's find out what those data sheets do. A very small, attainable goal. You go to Wapedia, you look at the data sheets, all the strategies they can use are right under it. You're kind of like, okay, now I'm starting to see the threads, the common threads of the combos. Like this, I, now I'm starting to understand why they take those sub factions because it combos is a clear synergy with this stratagem with this unit. Um, so you can kind of start piecing together, like the play pattern a little bit that way. And then after that, I will go seek out a game, just one game, and I just fully expect to get like the banana up the tailpipe. Uh, and then after that game, I'm like, okay, now I go back and everything I just did, the Goonhammer article, the Wapedia, whatever. I do it again because now I can call back you have to an context. event I experienced in the game and I have that context. Yep. And now when I do that kind of like that sandwich, that rules game. Oh, rules, maybe I shouldn't let that helps a lot. charge be turn one. <laughs> yeah, Exactly. You know, like, um, and that's kind of, and then at that point, if you do that, you build that little like rules game rules sandwich. Now you generally have a great leaping off point And now you can actually start asking uh, intelligent um questions that are going to get you really 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 good info of like the nuance of like how a matchup will go yeah mm-hmm. I'll, I'll always say like the baseline you need to have for every army is to like you should be able to read an army list and have like the five most important things about it jump off the page mm-hmm. like you should be able to read a dark angels army and read to know if they have the pendant or remembrance right you should yeah. know what to look for that and you should know to look for whether they're running the apothecary, whether that selfless healer, so whether you need to account for them bringing right. models back. And you should probably know whether they're running, you know, double Talonmaster or Azrael and why that's important, right? And those are kind of like, for every main faction of the game, you should probably know like the red buttons to look for. So for Admech, you're probably looking for something like, are they running Rust Stalkers? Does it have Tempercopia? Are they running Lucius or Mars? Are they running Program Tree or anything? Do they have Solar Flare? Those are like the red buttons that you should really be you know, looking for and every army has these and familiarity over the we'll go with them and then as you like as you get more and further than like further to the right of this bar you'll start to see like the amber the amber light spell you'll be like oh okay so they're running a seven of rust stalkers with tempercopia and why does a seven matter versus a ten and things mm-hmm. like that right and those are things that over time will grow and grow and you'll just have more understanding of this but you kind of like that's why i describe them as like baselines that once you hit a line you're never going to really like not know the red ones again. And maybe, yeah, you forget what the amber ones are because rocket trucks, wiggy buggies haven't been in the meta for a while and you've forgotten a little bit of the detail, but for every major faction of the game, having that or every major faction that's relevant right now, you should probably know those, those like key issues, strong, strong diminishing returns. And it's funny. This, they caught my eye. Yeah, exactly. And the going from the red to the orange. Yeah. Going from the red to the orange is like, 
yeah, man, it's completely fine. Like, you don't need to do that to win tournaments. If you're trying to win no. your local GT, if you, as long as you know the questions to ask when you don't know them, that's fine right. too. And that's where, where you get into the, like the the pregame discussion of like what can do out of phase. Like, the, yeah. the, the, how how are you going to fuck me? The question that Tim yeah. was saying earlier. That's where that starts to come in. When you get to like the, the the two boxes on the right, and you don't you're asking those questions because you know them and you want to confirm your opponent does too. That's when you really start like winning super majors level and like you don't need that nobody needs that i'm very fortunate to be in a position where like i synthesize knowledge very very well from reading the rules on wahapedia and i don't really like really need playtest games to get that but then you get into like the far end when you're starting to get like the to use the traffic lights again you have like the red things that jump off the page at you the ones that and then you get to the things that are like if you see it on a list you know that you're winning right because mm -hmm. you know it, they're easy identifiers for this person doesn't know what they're doing or this is missing right um, and that's kind of like the far. So like you this put was my one opponents draw, in LBO. It, I'm sorry, yeah. is that a Castellan? Cool, cool, cool. cool yeah, cool, exactly. Cool. You read the round one page and you look at it, and it's a starter set Primaris army, and it jumps off the page at you as a as just like hard green, right? That's kind yeah, of yeah. like the yeah. the far right of this column. It's not important to get there. These are yeah. very much there is very strong diminishing returns on this column, as Tim says. Once you get to like that um, good rules understanding of the game, strong understanding of your own army, good understanding of the other army. As long as you can top that up with the right asking the right questions, you do not need to go further on this one. If you can and you want to, and it works for you, there is you will get better for going right. But it's probably the least impactful of all the things you could develop, which is because you can develop it without playing 40k, right? Usually, Anybody I find the usually I find the right hand side of this column is a byproduct of improving the other rows rather than like something you're really actively pursuing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I mean, I spent a lot of time topping it up because of the, the role in the community that I have where I'm doing the coaching and I have to have an understanding of everybody's all my teammates armies for team Scotland and like what broken in this. Right. So I, I'm in a very like, different position to the average player here, yeah, which is team play facilitates a different, like, a yeah, well, team captaincy so. requires a, a difficult, a different level of this because I have to be able to have, I have to be able to have that discussion with every single one of my players at a high level about their army. Yep. Um, and the same thing with my coaching clients. Like, there's no, like, I can't get around this. I need to be up on the day. I need to know what Loga and Arzans do for Admech, right? Um, whereas you can just be like, yeah, they're the CP reduction things that give you a buff, right? You can definitely get away with it um, at some levels. I, I kind of need to know. Um, you really, really don't need to push to the far right on this one, I think, as Tim said. Yep. But having, knowing the, like, knowing that when you look down at a Death Watch army, you can check if they have... Um, pre-morphic resonance on their librarian, right? Or if they're running Dominus Aegis, or yeah. if they if they've got the um, the five and five the five and five splits on their kill teams, yeah. or if they're running you know, Frank Hammond right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. These are the kind of things that you like. You need to be able to look at a death like a Death Watcher, a bad example for but to context it to Cliff specifically. These you don't need to care about these if you're just playing into them right now because Death Watch aren't relevant meta wise. Like right. if you know them, it will help. But if you know the right questions, you'll be fine. Or if you not have like 50 minutes in between around to quickly glance up the list on YPD and look at the stuff you don't recognize. Um, but like for an Iron Hands list, looking at the Volcat Contemptor and understand and knowing what it does is yep. like the red button, right? You have to be able to slam the I know what that does. Um, which is why these ones are these ones are these ones are like gate gateways you have to pass through rather than like a thing you have to develop. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, okay, so I think. Gameplay aspects, I think um, what we're going to do for this is we will do the gameplay aspects two episodes from now. Yep. Because I think uh, in the next two weeks, Cliff and I are going to get together and we'll, and obviously he has his Death Watch resources. Um, I'm going to force 
Cliff to play some uh, TTS reps into me. Um, so that way <laughs> we can actually build a list. That's basically what we're going to do. We're going to we're going to build a list, and we might not be done by the time we're in the next episode, but we'll at least have the well, process started. Yeah. We'll have the process started, and two episodes from now, when we get the gameplay aspects. We should be we should have about four weeks of list building. Um, slash you know play testing under our belt and that's where we can start getting these gameplay aspects because you really kind of want to have the list building slash proven concept down before you really start drilling down to this gameplay aspects because otherwise it, it's like controlling variables like you don't know is like is it the list messing it up or is it me so yeah. you really want to try to drill down the list to get the, the screws tightened as much as possible um so i'd say let's close out this section and go into questions before we do that do you like Cliff, like let us know if this has been helping you at all. Anna's final thoughts, anything? Yeah, no, I think I think it's been super helpful. Um, I think one, it's just good to to be able to reinforce that like the like don't get cute, like because my I have high tendency to try to get cute, and like let's stay away from that. Like, what can this? And as you put it, really succinctly and really well, I think, what can your faction do that is broken? And how do you do that as much as possible <laughs> in order to maximize your probability of winning the game? And I think that like keeping that in mind is like a running mantra as I'm like taking another look through the book, rereading it, seeing if I can spot anything that like reinforces what I think Death, Death Watch does really well already. Um, even if that means doing weird stuff, like, I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm also open to the... <laughs> No, but like, like not when I say weird, I mean is in like not necessarily the accepted canon of approach for current Death Watch lists, well, uh, yeah. because like those don't appear to be doing as well as they possibly can. So there's not a whole lot to lose in exploring a different avenue if we think that it really does like emphasize the strengths of the faction. Um, that's that's been really helpful for me to hear. Yeah, for sure. I think the uh, this has been super valuable in just giving an explainer on how you should be using this matrix for both Cliff and everybody else. So anybody who's watching along and wants to start judging themselves, take an honest look at yourself and ask yourself if you really think you're at the level that you should be or that you want to be. Um, and try to challenge your own assertions on it and like, are you better than you think you are? Are you worse than you think you are? Yeah. Um, and if you are worse than you think you are, then it's probably, if you are like, you know, you're consistently going three and two, but you feel like you're not actually that great at a lot of these things, you're probably really good on the table. And if you know you're consistently a four and one player, but you find you're not great at a bunch of these things, then you're probably you know, or sorry, the other way around. If you find that you think you are really good at these things, but you're and you're consistently going three and two, but you feel like you know from the table you're four and one, it's probably your gameplay that you need to work on. Mm -hmm. um, and that's kind of like these are all these are all indicators. They they will all tell part of the story, and they all feed off each other. None of them are in isolation, and none of Cliff's things are nice because every time we start talking about this, we start segueing into other topics, and nothing stays self-contained. Um, yeah. It's very important because to understand that you as a player are not told you are not a table, you are not a checkbox in the system, and that everybody is different at different points in the story. And there's nowhere wrong to be on this. You just it just gives you things that you can work on. If you don't want to work on them, there's no issues there either. If you are if you're yeah, if you're plateauing, like do a self-analysis, ask um, and this is something I do every once in a while, is I will ask it's hard to hear sometimes. Go to your play group. And just ask them, be like, hey, uh, objectively, like, what do you think I'm good at? What do you think I'm bad at? You know, and they'll generally give you some, like, honest answers, you know, and then do your own self-analysis. And then anything that they say, you know, kind of cross-reference with this, um, focus on these, look for things that you can bring up, look for, 
low-hanging fruit for the next square that you can push. Go to the meta dashboard. Know the armies you play. Know your good matchups. Know your bad matchups. Look into why they're good, why they're bad. Um, there's a lot of tools out there. Eventually, you have to get reps. You just have to play games. But there's a lot of stuff there that can um, that can make your gameplay more efficient because you can figure stuff out before you actually put models to the table. So let's go into questions. Uh, we we have about looks like we have about six of them, um, and then we'll check the chat, which is good so that way we can get Innis and Cliff to bed. Uh, the first one is from Luke G. After this, actually, but thank you. Oh gosh. The first one, I mean, I tried. Uh, the first one is uh, from Luke G. from the Discord. Show question. As someone who hasn't been to a tournament yet, what are the first few things to focus on to improve when playing with friends and in your local store? Let's chuck this one immediately to Innis. Um, I think the answer is going to be this far left column all the way down, probably. But, um, <laughs> yeah, Innis, what do you think? All right. The, the first, if you are just getting into playing at the point where you're trying to get better, the most important thing is to just be honest with yourself about what your goals are. So are you just playing with your friends locally because you just want to have fun? In which case, genuinely, don't worry about getting better. Um, you can just have fun playing 40k with whatever skill level. Unless you find that you're, you're getting beaten all the time, don't worry about it. You do not have to get better at this game. This game is, for a lot of people, a hobby. And there is a real tendency in all things in life to have to want to make everything you be as be as good as you can. It is perfectly okay to suck at 40k if you have fun doing it. So that's the first one, is that 100%, if you're just playing with your friends and you're not actually that interested in going to events, or you're okay going to events to chill out and have fun with your friends, that's fine. Do not worry about it. You do not have to be the next John Lennon. Now, if the goal, if you are being honest with yourself, the goal is that you probably do want to beat your friends or you want to be able to like feel confident enough to go to an RTT. Pick a list, pick a faction, stick within the same like two and a half thousand points and draw two thousand points from it. Because familiarity at that level of play is so important because you don't want to spend all your time in your book. You want to be spending your time playing the game because you're playing at that level. You are mostly playing to have fun. So play things that you enjoy playing. And yeah, if you find that you're not moving, that you're not enjoying like the things you're playing, change it up. Like don't like this isn't a rule. This is a thing that you should try to stick to, but work on. Take that, play the things that bring you joy and play them as well as you can, which mostly means critically analyze the things you're doing. Think through how you win the game when you deploy. So start sit there at the start and go, okay, how does my list actually win this game? How does my opponent's list win the game? How do those interact? That is the very basics of analyzing your own gameplay is, does your list win by denying primary, denying secondaries, killing your opponent, or none of those? If it's none of those, reconsider your list. And then does your opponent's list do the same things? And then those two things will intersect in a way that suggests roughly how the game's going to play. If you're both primary denial lists, you're probably going to scrap over objectives. If you're both secondary scoring lists, it's going to like not too worry about the primary. You're probably both going to play fairly defensively and fairly cagey, and you're going to trade over the middle objective to stop each other getting 12s. If you're both playing kill each other lists, you're probably going to first turn flip it or second turn flip it, depending on what your list is, and you're going to brawl in the middle and see what happens. And then there's a whole bunch of nuance to that afterwards. But just starting with that, having an understanding of what the game is going to play like allows you to subvert the expectations of the game and try to approach it a different way. Because you might get to say, oh, we're both going to try and deny primary here, but my secondaries are slightly better in there, so maybe my normal plan isn't going to work here. That's the that's the very first step to growing as a player, is to genuinely just think about how you and your opponent are going to win the game and make sure that that aligns with what you can do on the table. That's genuinely all there is to the first step of improving as a 40k player. I literally have nothing I can add to that. That was a perfect answer. 
Cliff, you got anything? Can we move on to the next question? Nope, that's it. Hire, cool. hire him yeah. as a coach. That's that was, yeah. Hire him <laughs> as a coach. Hire him as a light coach. Hire him as a uh, casual coach, crusade coach. Sounds like sounds like he will tell you what you need to hear, not necessarily what you want. Show question. Is there a gap in the market for weekday dad hammer tournaments? I, I saw there was like one. There was actually like one like a little ways back, um, which is kind of which is kind of neat. The issue is that um, I, I want to say yes, but it's not really like realistic. It's not really realistic because the thing is, if you're a dad, like, yeah, I mean, the thing is, you people work in the middle of the week. Yeah. Um, that's that's realistically real a weekday tournament is a hospitality and shop worker tournament. Uh, yeah, it's not really yeah. a dad tournament. You run around yeah, like I mean, a Tuesday or a Wednesday tournament, you will get people that show there, but there'll be people who work in bars, restaurants, and Tesco and Walmart. Yeah, or people right? who or people who which are is like great. And I love financially for those who are financially like independent and wealthy, you know, like yeah, yeah, like exactly. trust fund or something like that. But it's not. Yeah, I mean, you have like I consider going to a Dubcon just because it's on like a Thursday, it's on like a Thursday and Friday, which is like actually my days off. And the plane ticket is like nothing. And like my, that's actually not asking a lot of like my wife to like basically, hey, especially cause they have a one day top cut, you know, like you play four games and you top cut um, uh, 16 out of 265 or something like that. Like I would honestly just go up there have some beer, roll some dice, bring the shootiest list I can, and then um, <laughs> oh, you no, literally like a thousand, that, like no, literally just bring like I would just bring max iron hands and drop pods or something. Oh, like that. that's like, that's, that's what I would. That's what I would do. You know, like because there's if you've seen those tables, there's no terrain, but it's not. There is no terrain. That's that's more just that I'm just trying to get out of the house for a day and yeah. play like something that's like performative more than like actually truly competitive. You know, like so I wouldn't if you're trying to get that itch of like. Seeing the big Elo number go up, or seeing the big ITC rank go up, or something like CRS, that, like, bro, I would really recommend it. I would recommend uh, leagues. Leagues are probably the competitive leagues are probably the best. What you're looking for, honestly, yeah, um, and they're I, very like, low pressure. Wholeheartedly do endorse midweek tournaments are great. I would have killed for a midweek tournament in my local area when I was working every Saturday as in a supermarket because weekends are very weekends are demanding for a lot of people. A lot of people work them. A lot of people have family commitments. I love Sunday tournaments and I love midweek tournaments. Midweek tournaments are a hard sell if you don't have a big community that can that can support them. But if you do have a community that can't support them, I would hardly recommend it because there will be a bunch of people who can't do a Saturday tournament who would love to come to an event and test it out. And like that might get them over the line of like they enjoyed it enough that maybe they do take holidays to come to a GT once in a while. And that and can they, only be give, good for your community. And give it a shot. Like just run them, uh, run them like a smaller points level or something like that, like 1,500 points. Like 1,500 points Like to me seems like real Goldilocks number, you know, yeah. where it's just enough where you can actually, you don't get these crazy skew matchups, you know, but you're also, it cuts like a, you can cut like some real time off the uh, event round time. My, my other big suggestion on this one is if you can, if you have like a club night on a Thursday or something like that, maybe try like a lunchtime start tournament that runs into your club hours and mm. do like a half day tournament where people who work in the morning or whatever, or people who could take a half day off work because then you can do time in lure or whatever. Can maybe try that. I think that would be really cool for some people. Yeah, I think the ideal on the dad hammer end is like if you there's two times available at least for me, right? And that's like after kiddo bedtime, which is like 8 p.m. to midnight, or early on a Friday when I could arrange either childcare or give the heads up to like my partner 
And like him to be out of the house for six hours, you're on bedtime. Realistically, what dad's in is two day RTTs that happen exclusively between yeah. birthday parties. So this is so this is exactly how I would do that. I would probably if I was trying to do like a midday like dad RTT, what I would do is I would do fifteen hundred points. I like the idea of starting lunch, going to club hours. Yep. I'd make it two rounds and then a top cut with the undefeated, and then the undefeated become a league. And it's kind of like you guys, you guys then within the next week or like next week, you guys get with each other for a good time to play your game, you know, and then you submit the score, yeah. you know, yeah. and at that point that, and that's how the final standing is then calculated. You More know? realistically so you, like, you run like a four round tournament over four weeks of four weeks of club nights. Um, yeah, but I like which basically basically a league at that point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. League's the um, move if you're trying to get to Edzam, honestly, because the flexibility, the timing, the ability to arrange it, that's really gonna be how you pull busy. Not so, even busy. dad's a shorthand for busy people who have a lot going on, but also right. for me, you should drop a tournament every day so I can go to a lot of tournaments. Uh, <laughs> so next question from Grant H from the Discord. What would you consider the quote fundamentals? And I will shamelessly pull up uh Ennis's article here because it's got these cool columns because I generally would call all of these the fundamentals. So <laughs> out of the game, I would say, yeah, list building, play testing, meta knowledge, rules knowledge. And then we go into gameplay, we'd say micro and macro, which if you are not uh familiar with what those you didn't terms come from are, RTSs. <laughs> yeah, you didn't come from RTSs, but micro is your ability to move and place models in the correct places with consideration. You're not just like blindly moving your models up. You're pre-measuring, you're you're setting up. A lot of times when I move stuff up, I am if I'm a faster army than my opponent is, which I tend to go for fast armies for this reason, I am thinking about what they're realistically going to try to send into me. Mm-hmm. And then I usually I won't try to make myself unchargeable, but I just assume my opponent's going to roll fives and everything. When they advance, they're going to roll five. When they charge, they're going to roll ten. You know, and then I will basically take, I'll be like, hey, what's your movement? Do you have anybody want to increase that? Blah, 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 blah. Can you advance charge? And then I will add, if they don't advance charge, I'll add 10 onto that number. If they advance charge, I'll add 15. And then I'll make sure I'm just slightly out of that. And then I'll also pre-measure to see like what I can attack next turn. Because I'm always setting up for next turn. Um, and then stuff like making sure that you are, if you have any command phase stuff, you're also setting up that you are in range for next turn's command phase. You're not like, oh, I'm just slightly outside of range. Or when you do a... Uh, a go turn you charge with like four or five units and a character oh crap i want to activate this unit but i'm like i'm seven inches away from this character they have a six inch aura you know stuff like just stuff like that those little unforced errors for like positioning and movement macro is basically your ability to come to create a viable strategy and then follow it and then knowing when to abandon it or when to double down on it um what else? Target priority and then reaction to events because it is a dice game. And I was telling Cliff before, I was like, generally the rules of the game, 40K, they change every edition. But since as long as I've been playing, 40K has been a game about movement and about risk mitigation. Uh, and that's where reaction to events comes into play. Now, sometimes you just roll eight attacks and you roll like seven ones when you don't have rerolls. And you're just kind of like, oh, that happens. Oh, you know? I had a game at the weekend putting his Black Templars where my Deathwing Terminators took 17 two-up saves in a phase and failed 11 of them, then Ooh. got charged and took 17 four vulnerable saves and failed 15 of them. And I just, like, randomly lost a squad of Deathwing Terminators to nothing, and it did not matter. Um, wow. So, like, yeah. list, risk, like reaction events comes into list building as well. Yeah. Like, you can play okay, Deathwing Terminators, it doesn't more. matter how bad you roll. 
<laughs> yeah, sometimes sometimes you just lose a squad you weren't supposed to, and it's kind of like, okay, well, the game, you still have three more rounds left. What are you going to do now? What now? And this, that, that also pulls in things like not tilting, capitalizing on your opponent's bad luck, mitigating yep. your own, mitigating your own, right? If your opponent randomly loses a unit they shouldn't have, how do you like make that make them hurt? That is a lot of what a, a 40k yeah. fundamental is. Yeah. If I yeah see... Thank you, Tim, for quoting me. I appreciate that. Not a problem. Yeah, like yesterday, my game against uh, Rob, I was telling him, I was like, I wasn't, my game plan was never to go for his Terminators because the partisan unit in my list is my strength five fiends with a couple of strength six tail attacks. But the Terminators are minus one to wound and they're going to get these uh, trans hitmen, no rerolls, and then yeah. plus one toughness every single turn, which functionally makes, um, which reduces, I can make my fiends or my demonettes um, hit on twos. And so if they're trans hitmen, I'm functionally minus two to hit. And then if they um, make it, and then if I'm wounding on, if they're, they make them T5 minus one to wound, they're functionally minus two to wound. At that point, there is no world where I can't, I can send something into them and I'm not drastically over committing. And then and if Tim is assuming his opponent's rolling fives every turn, he's assuming he's getting off the two powers. He needs to maybe get the film of pain spell off. There's no point. But reaction to events is, if he fails, suddenly fails the litany in one of the psychic powers. And that was and that was basically what I was telling him. I said I was basically kind of circling you. I was just outside your threat range. My fiends were circling and they were waiting for you to spell the power and the litany on the same turn. And you never did and he never did, so I just never went into them. But I was I had Always something there ready. The option. I had something there ready to like play that option, but like while while one or both of those were up, yeah. I was just but a lot of people in that situation I was just telling everything else. like a lot of people in that situation will give themselves the, oh, well, I was unlucky that I failed to spell that turn, or I was unlucky that I failed the litany. But on average, in a five-turn game, you're going to fail it once. You're going to fail, yeah. What you didn't do was give yourself an option where if you failed it, you had a response. What you did was yeah. allow the fiends to circle you. And could you have stopped that? Maybe not. If not, tough shot, tough luck, you brought a bad list. If you yeah. could have stopped it and you didn't, that's on you. And that's and then the we had that people miss. We had some opportunities come up. Like when he when he left that gap and I was able to do like the Abaddon charge play, at that point he had the fiends like in the middle of his entire line. So like at that point, when he when he went to his psychic phase, I was just kind of like, hey, warp storm, now you perils on doubles. And then this fiend unit that's in your deployment zone, there's a 12-inch aura off six fiends of minus two to cast. You know, and he didn't get any powers off that turn. Uh, I ended up not really having I ended up not really capitalizing off that because I didn't really need to because I was just I was at that point I was running through his flank and going into his backfield. I didn't. I, the Terminators were no longer like a win condition for me, so I just ignored him at that point. Um, so next question: When looking to improve your game, at what point is looking for coaching significant external input necessary? I would say probably at the beginning, and then every time you plateau. Um, and then I I like that you put. Um, slash significant external input because that was something i was going to say if you hadn't coaching isn't always necessarily um actual like hey i give you dollars you give me input on how to be good sometimes you just need that external objective viewpoint to kind of get you unstuck you know uh you're spinning your tires you know there's improvements to be made but you're not really sure like what needs to be done or where you need to go from here and you just need someone to kind of like stick that plywood underneath your tire and you get unstuck and you get moving again 
Um, so I would say right in the beginning when you don't know any, you don't know what you don't know. Um, and then anytime you plateau is, is be a good time. For, for me, I would say there's like two things I would consider if I was looking to get into coaching. First of all, coaching is expensive. I'm not going to sit there and lie to you. Like it, you're paying someone for their time. Um, so I would, only, I would look for doing it when you are finding that you're unable to get better. As Tim said, when you're plateauing or when you just need, when I, I've got a, a few clients who are just like, yeah, so I spent a lot of time bouncing between armies and, you know, you know, like I was doing well at tournaments, but I wasn't doing as well as I could be, but I didn't really have the motivation there to get better. The external kick of motivation has been really big for some people where it's just becomes, you're now spending, you're now spending money and resources and you're committing to it. And it kind of just turns that dial in your head to, this is now a thing that I'm taking seriously. And if you need that kick in a lot of things where, you know, the same reason that some people get a personal trainer, right, is because yeah, maybe you could do this on your own, but you're not really, you're probably not taking this seriously. It could be once you commit to doing it properly, you're now like, maybe I won't, maybe I should just stick to it. And then you can bounce it off your coach and they'll be like, you know, maybe you should just stick with this thing. And like, we're as a coach myself, I'm never going to tell you not to switch armies, but I've got, you might come to me and be like, so I was thinking about switching armies, but I decided that I've put a bunch of time into custodes now. I'm going to just stick with it. Right. Um, so those are the kind of the two situations. I don't have anybody who's coming right at the start of their 40K, so I couldn't really speak to that. Um, I don't really know how I would approach that because I've not been put in that situation yet. Uh, it's been a long time since I've personally like taught someone to play competitive 40k or compete or like 40k in general. Um, there's I've almost always had someone with a fairly reasonable starting point. Um, but yeah, I, I could definitely see how that would be useful and appealing to somebody to just jump in at the deep end and not learn the bad habits in the first place. So there are definitely definitely a few different ways to get into that. Uh, and obviously I am incentivized to tell you that you should seek out coaching because I am a coach, but if coaching doesn't sound right for you because you have a strong local community, then lean on them first. Um, find, figure out if you can't get better with the people around you first, because the people around you are incentivized to help you because they will want better games too. They should anyhow. Um, they should. So Tom if H, you're playing with can... a bunch of tools, yeah, just come, come, yeah. come, 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 come in on me. <laughs> Can RTC success be a good measure for growth, or do you need a GT eventually to match against better players? Um, that depends. Yes, on yes, and yeah, yes and no. Um, the issue is, I kind of equate it to like when people go on to like Warhammer Competitive on Facebook or Reddit. It's like there is, there is actually some good info there. The issue is that by the time you can differentiate between the good info and the bad info, you are now in a spot where you no longer need that resource. Um, so therefore, I don't recommend it for like new people for that reason. Because for every one good piece of advice you get, you'll get like four or five pieces of bad advice, and you won't be in a spot where you can tell the difference. So RTTs are they're reps, they're the reps, and that is good. Um, it's just you tend to. I can't really recommend them as something to seek out. Um, they're better than no games, but I can't recommend them as something to seek out for the same reason that we don't track them for stats because uh, there tends to be like either wonky terrain or there tends to be like there tends to be like five people that that are like the top players at a tournament, and then like they're all teching for each other, and then everyone else is just kind of like reacting to that. You know, like in our local events, it's literally like my team goes to this RTT. And out of like 25 people, the top eight spots are all people on my team and they're all teching for each other. And then you have like the people in the middle who are just kind of like, 
trying to like just trying to go two and one and you have like three or four people at the bottom who just got lost and accidentally showed up to an rtt with like a 2000 points of a list you know and you never really know what your run is going to be you may have an rtt where it's just like there's no sharks in your meta at all and your shark is just one guy who's been playing his rules wrong for the last two years you know like that's a that's an actual thing that could happen you know like or because this game is taught uh, via tribal knowledge and very few people like actually crack open the book and read it. You may have an event where like um, it's very heavy terrain and it's a bunch of people playing combat armies, but they're all playing the combat phase wrong or they've all learned it wrong. And, and there's no, there's no external stimulus to like learn it correctly or the terrain is ass. And so everyone's just bringing gun lines and it's just coin flipping left or right. Cause there's like three Hills, one woods and one ruin on the board, you know? So it's, it's very if you're lucky and you get you have good players and you run into those good players and you know they're good players take that for what it's worth and then you're getting reps which are always better than no reps unless your opponent's an asshole um so that's better than nothing but generally i do like the gts because that's where that's where you actually find out that when you go into that fourth round, that's where you really start either. That's where you're, where you and your list, remember you guys are a team, a team of two. That's when you guys find out where you're supposed to be. And then that's where your strengths and weaknesses get exposed. And that exposure, that ripping away of uh, your list weaknesses doesn't really happen in a three round event. Yeah. I think the, as like an RTT hero, the, this sort of relates back to others. So like, Secretly, like you play in like your high school basketball league, and you might be really good in your like eight school league, but then you like join a travel team, and your the the pool of competition that you're running up against gets bigger, and as a result, the average skill goes up. You're just like, oh, people are pretty good, and you're encountering methods of gameplay and like strategies that you haven't previously encountered just because you're running into like you know hundreds of sets of experiences versus just like the eight to twenty four that might be your local vibe. So like, yeah, I mean, the example. When you go to a GT, you're playing against eight other people who are the best player at that local store, right? Rather than just you being the best player in yours. Exactly. Um, I, I will say one thing for this is that RTTs can be a good measure for growth, how good you are at RTTs, um, which is not like there's no there's not no merit in growing as a player at RTTs. You can there are probably some of the best players in the world probably don't play outside that local store because we just you know not everybody can access GTs. Um, so don't dismiss them like like out of hand. If all you can do is is RTTs, you will get better playing RTTs. It will mm -hmm. probably be slower. Um, if you are consistently winning every RTT you go to, you're probably ready to do pretty well at GT. Like I don't think that that's you know there are pro there are going to be mitigating factors, and maybe your meta, you know the meta your local GT store doesn't line up very well with the meta your local RTT store. Um, and sure, there are drawbacks to that, but. If you're consistently going two and one and three into RTTs and you're never really, you know, you're never really having blowout games, you're probably capable of going four and one or five and one at GT. But the environment is so different at GT when you're, you know, if you're traveling to it and you're staying in a hotel and maybe, you know, you're getting a little bit busy on the night before as people are wont to do on the Saturday night of a GT, or you're just not used to playing five games in a row. Um, for better or worse, endurance is a very real aspect of being good at competitive 40K. You have to be able to mentally deal with playing five six seven games in a row um and the rtt environment does not set you up very well for that um if you find your drain at the end of an rtt um like there are probably things that you could be doing better in order to make sure that you 
like it's very easy to like you know play three games in a day and be like, oh, that's the end point. You're never going to play more than three games in a day. But game four on I would say game four on Saturday feels like game or on Sunday feels like game like two and a half on the Saturday. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're just starting from you're starting less fresh. Maybe you're not sleeping as well. Maybe you're not sleeping at all. Um, so there are always extenuous factors. But the actual gameplay stuff, if you are winning most of your games in RT, you'll probably win most of the games in GT because the skill level is not that different. Yeah. 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 The skill level isn't that different. It's just, it's just more the pairings process right, is right. that, yeah. is that you, you and the other person who is at your level will find each other at GT. Whereas at RTT, like those sometimes like it'll be like, yeah, you usually yeah, don't just, find your skill happens. level until round three of a GT. That's the last round of an RTT. Um, that that's really the you will play more games at your skill level at GT level, which means that you should on average play, you know, three games that are tough. And if you're usually lose it, if you're usually like going 50-50 in round three of your local RTT, then you're probably going to go 50-50 in round three, four, and five of your local GT, which is like, you know, two. Are you going to go three and two and three, three or four and, three, and one? Two. That that's all in that variance there. So that that's the real difference here. But don't okay. it's not no measure, it's just a poor measure. But you can definitely like if you're doing really well at RTTs, you're probably going to be fine at GTs. Okay. You're not going to have a horrible time. Okay. So from Dan J, uh, I mean this is kind of like almost like a, maybe a recap of the entire episode, but uh, question for Innis, how would you use your rubric from your article to assess your competency as a player? So maybe like he's just talking about like how you self-analyze for yeah, yourself. Do a super quick recap. So I would say there's broadly two ways to do it. You can either start with it from the top down, which is to say, how well do I generally do at events? And go through like your last couple of GT results. If you played like, you know, two or three or four or five or 25 GTs in the last three months, six months, however long you felt like you've been about the level you are now. And then look down and then go from that column down and be like, is this where I think I am? Am I slightly to the left? Am I slightly to the right? And just like, you know, Get a, like a little, just like exit or whatever. If you're on your phone, like who cares? Just like take a note mentally or otherwise. Like this is roughly where I think I am. Um, I think I'm slightly better than I should be or than my general skill levels as I am or vice versa. And then just do that as you go down and run through it and be like, okay, I think these are the things that I'm at my skill level at and I'm, you know, doing pretty well at this and this and I'm doing really well at this and this. Like I'm really good at learning lists or I always play a meta list that I have a decent understanding of. But what I'm not doing is building a flexible game plan. And I'm struggling at, you know, responding to events on the table. I get tilted really easily. Then you use that to assess that those are the things you work on. You try to bring them up to the level that you're at now. And then once everything's at the level you're at now, you're probably starting to push the next level because you're already really good at a few of the things. And now you start going four and one instead of three and two, right? That's kind of like the, the first way. The other way is to go through everyone and just like look at your skill level in an isolation. And then from there, figure out roughly where you should be and then compare that to where you actually are. And then from there, that will then tell you again the same information because you're just approaching from a different angle. You're being like, okay, my micro-knowledge is pretty terrible. This is roughly where I think I am. And go through it and then average it out and be like, my average says I should be a three and two player, but I'm actually mostly going two and three. So maybe I'm not as good at some of these things as I think I am. What am I not as good at? And then you kind of work from it backwards. But they're mostly the same ways of doing the same thing. You're, you are ultimately just trying to be honest with yourself. Um, people are very... I find people are very prone to saying they're much better at some things than they are and much worse at something than they are. Like some people are very prone to say, no, my rules are not just terrible. But then you actually start asking them a faction and they have like a general understanding. Like if you have a general understanding of what the admec mechanics are, or then you're probably pretty fine with rules knowledge. Um, and that will apply to every army across the game. Like you probably have a general understanding that if I said Trakari to you, that that means fast, punchy characters, good with transports, advance and charge on turn two. 
right? Like, you're going to be some level of there with every army in the game. Um, but people are very poor to be like, no, I have terrible roll touch. Or, yeah, I'm great at micro. But then they're taking, like, you know, five or six takebacks to the practice game. So they're never actually getting punished for it. Um, so people are very prone to being too generous and too hard on themselves. So, but it's really, this is a starting point. Um, this will never be a perfectly accurate answer for everybody because it's designed for everybody, which means it works for nobody is the real truth. Yeah, the more overlaps you can have with this, um, the better. Like this is a, like I said, a decent starting point, um, but go to your play group and um, people you play with regularly, pose some of these questions to them. Like, hey, what do you think? Like, what, what do you think is something I'm really good at? What do you think is something I'm really really need to work on. And I, I did that. I did that with my team. Um, I straight up went to several people that I played with a bunch and I asked them, um, I think like it was a couple years ago and all of them said I was too, I was too, um, I was too defensive and it almost came out like, uh, like it seemed like I almost like came out a turn too late. Um, and then I actually kind of, once I took that knowledge, you know, luckily I was in driving distance to the Art War stream house and I had some, um, you know, so, like a level of uh, connection with, with some of those guys being my former teammates in Burhammer. I said, hey, you know, I don't want to like just come up and get some games, you know, like with just no real gold. But these, this is where I'm at. I feel like I plateaued and I've kind of pulled several people I played with and this is what they said. Would you mind just playing like some games with me for a day and working on this? And then at that point and then pivoting into like more aggressive armies i've now actually pivoted into being a very aggressive player um Good, I turned and, then, soon, <laughs> and then yeah exactly well whoops but now it's just um once i there's two things i walked away from that from that that day with is one like going into being more aggressive and it's just like jack says when you're aggressive it's kind of a good place to be in general your opponent you're scoring 12s and 8s while your opponent's scoring zeros and fours um, but it also lets you get more comfortable with getting hit, getting shot, taking casualties, and those chaotic board states. Um, Never once. I hate every model I lose. I feel <laughs> personally. I am. I am. I am very comfortable with like. I am super comfortable with like losing a third of my army in a turn. Like every, I, every save I take, I thrive in that. <laughs> I thrive in that. But also, um, Nick Nadavati, even though he doesn't play as much anymore, one of the things he really talked to me. When I said, "Hey, man, how do you push through? How do you bust through?" The from four and one to five and zero, oh, what's the big difference? He said the biggest difference is make a note of how your opponent mentally reacts to where your armies are, like where your stuff is, uh, where your models are on the board. When you push forward aggressively, some people are going to like rush for the meet you. Some people are going to pull back. Some people are going to kind of like start pivoting as you pivot into them. They're going to pivot to you, and you're going to have like that board rotate that always happens where like Dawn of War goes to Hammer and Anvil. Um, when you bring artillery, people play more aggressive into you. And he really taught me to start making a note of how people react mentally to what your models are doing on the table. And once that idea was kind of implanted in my head as something to look for, that was also a big like level up moment for me, um, is that mental part. So the next question, um, it's three part question, um, three different questions, one for each of us. So we'll start with the, uh, We'll start with the uh, the the lowball one or the uh, the more casual one. For Cliff, how serious are you about collecting and playing Lizardmen and Age of Sigmar? Um, like dead serious. That's not a joke. Like I'm like kidding. Like I will. I'm going to start playing Age of Sigmar regularly. I like 
my number one actual hobby is dinosaurs for real. Like subscribe to a bunch of paleontology journals, wanted to be a vertebrate paleontologist specializing in theropod behavior when I was a kid, took a bunch of classes in college, took like random master's courses in the course when I was in the subject when I was there. Like I was like, when I retire, I'm gonna go get a PhD and I'm gonna go dig up dinosaur bones. Like that is the actual plan. Dinosaurs are unreal. Every I, It's shocking to me that not everybody else in the world is as obsessed with them as I am. Um, Clef, what's your favorite you. dinosaur? Yeah, I live for dinosaurs. So yeah, like that's not a joke. What's your I favorite dinosaur? Yeah. What's your favorite dinosaur? Oh God, uh, it's a tie between either the Tyrannosaurus Rex um, or the Dakota Raptor, which is like one of the larger dromaeosaurs. This is why I was so excited about the model line because like you can see the like. And is that a dinosaur toll on your shelf behind you, or is that just a random drinking horn? That's just a random horn. Yeah. Damn, it looks it looked kind of like a claw. I hope it looks a little like a claw. Uh, I do. I have a couple of other actual fossils though. They're just not in. They're not in the office. There <laughs> you go. Hell yeah, love it. Uh, I've got a full sleeve slash chest tattoo plan. That's a T-Rex family across my chest on the beach uh, and like a pack of velociraptors assaulting a herd of um, ceratopians, probably triceratops, uh, going down my arm. Cool. Uh, so the second part, uh, Anis, <laughs> how, how do you balance playing Legion while trying to play 40K? Obviously, time spent playing another game system is timeless played on another system. And wonder if you find that distracting or is it the breath of fresh air that you need? Um, it's a little bit like you can't spend all your time on 40k. Um, very much since like I, I started playing Legion a little bit before I got into full-time um, 40k. So I was definitely overlapping them a little bit. The, the simple answer is that there is enough bandwidth in, in your head to track a game non-competitively. I have spent, uh, like I play... Um, like at the moment, I'm playing Marvel Snap fairly set, fairly regularly as a computer game. Uh, I spent a lot of time playing like um, League, what League of Legends while I was playing 40k, and I just transitioned over like the time I was spending on that to spending it on another game. Uh, I play a lot less computer games now than I used to, um, so it's spending a little bit of time doing some, you know, following the the tournament results and having a vague understanding of the upcoming releases for Legion doesn't kill me. Um, it, it's honestly been helpful in some ways because there are ways of thinking that come from playing a different game for a little bit that will just, you know, introduce new styles of whether it's list building or thinking about resources. So I pulled a lot of um, the way I think about activations from Star Wars Legion. Um, and like the, there's a big concept in Legion of like um, last out for last out first in, like because it works on a rolling activation, activation system, you could do something like have Darth Vader be your 10th activation of the turn, so the last thing you do, and then win priority on the next one, and then have him be the first one, so it feels like he double activates. And then that that teaches you a lot about um, like squeezing the most out of units by using them very aggressively and then making sure that they can be responded to. So a lot of that comes down to, like, in 40k terms, it doesn't translate one-to-one, -one, but you can do things like, how can I push this unit super aggressively, get a lot out of it, and then also make sure you can respond to it before I use it again. Um, so that came into things like how I was playing my Harpies in Tyranids. It was very big on alpha with them super hard and then kill everything that can respond to what the Harpies are doing so the Harpies get a second turn. Um, and yeah, it doesn't perfectly one-to-one mimic, but it's not necessarily a super obvious thought process and it works super well with Gene Circle as well. Um, I stopped playing Gene Circle to kill everything and I started playing Gene Circle to kill the things that can kill me to make sure that every unit shoots twice. Um, yeah. it, it At the end of the day, 
if you spend all of your time on one thing, you will eventually burn out on it. And having another release has been super cool. The fact that I get to have Darth Vader and throw rocks at people with him is kind of cool too. That Slanesh list is super strong for that reason. The activations, like I can't. If anyone's not familiar with it, it's it's ninety demonettes, eighteen fiends, and four characters. And then after my go turn, I will try to like wrap, wrap and tag everything in my opponent's army. Um, least that I, the things that I feel like I can afford to get hit back with. And then the next turn, I pop fight first. And I basically get to double activate with the fiends because they they'll have extra plus one attack. They'll fill the plane plus one attack, exploding sixes. They'll charge. They'll hit two different units. They'll they will then um, tag something else. Demonettes will pop the uh, six inch pile and consolidate and wrap it and trap them in with the fiends. And then I pop fight first, and I basically just get to activate all over again. And it is probably one of the most disgusting things that no one is talking about. <laughs> uh, so the third part of that, uh, the third part of that question, where is it? Here we go. Uh, question for Tim. So we hear that you're part of the WTC USA squad, but what are your goals, aspirations for the year? Are you looking to be part of the playing team, part of the coaching staff this year? Or is this a multi-year goal of looking to attend next year? You look at that. Uh, so on paper, um, yes, my goal is to be a starter. Um, they, I don't know when they're going to announce that, um, but the, there was a little bit of a hiccup like back in like uh, December, January timeframe with some some little bit of uh, unfortunate drama. Um, which I, I, heard Anthony's me. I heard Anthony's just picking over to the two players who do best at the singles. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully hopefully that's not it because I don't get to really go to enough events. I just can't keep up with No, no, the Warmaster there. singles. <laughs> oh. the, the two players who do best <laughs> the team. And yeah, I feel, like, I, feel like, I feel like the Warmaster, the winner of the Warmaster single is just going to be whoever's captain, like Blink's last. Um, yeah. But, um, yeah, no, I'm so concerned doing that. Uh, but right now, uh, there has been a shift from in the past team USA has basically been like this kind of a lot of people perceive it as like an ivory tower where it's basically you couldn't really get in unless you knew the captain on a deep level and were like a multi super major major winner you know and you kind of had to be both of those and so for most people it was just completely um there was no access uh and it was Basically, for it was working for a long time where basically U.S. would just show up with a bunch of super major uh, and major players and they would play like eight singles games and they would just on brute force, they would try to win that way. Um, the rest of the world has been catching up and passing the U.S. in a lot of ways with competency and theory crafting and comp and comp and stuff like that, especially because the U.S. doesn't generally focus on teams as much. And it's probably um, so, better. For to give the globe, give the rest of the globe their like as as of recorded records right now, team play internationally is just superior to what we've got going in the US. But that'll change, hopefully. Yeah. So basically, uh the team after we kind of sidestepped the drama, which like I said, I'm not gonna talk about because um the way some of the the stories that were online that I saw is not how it went down. There's a lot of information missing, and then frankly, there's no reason to like bring a lot of that information to light. Um, but the ship has been righted and we're basically on the path we intended to be this year, which was one, um, be more inclusive of the non-US community and then by way of mutual respect, have the European, Australian and 
worldwide community be more inclusive of the U.S. Yeah. Uh, and then kind of, and I think Stat Check has actually been a huge part of that. Man, fuck those kind Americans. Of, I think Stat Check. <laughs> I think Statue has kind of has kind of fostered that communication, um, but now Team America is morphing more into like the way a professional sports team is run, where you have um, they're trying to become like a generational multi-year power, where when people aren't ready to to start this turn, they're not just like shown the door, and then you have to then recruit and, and build people up from scratch next year. It's kind of like they just go into reserves and they continue to develop. And they continue to scrim and practice and learn. And then eventually, like, as people have to bow out, you know, because of, like, life, commitments, costs, going to WTC is expensive, you know. Um, or, like, maybe, like, last minute, like, someone gets sick, can't can't go. You now have a pool of people that you have been developing for the past, like, one, two, three years who can then get some, you know, they're not starting from scratch. They're vetted, they're practiced, they're part of the system, they're part of the team, and then you bring them up you know, to the starting spot in the roster. So from a selfish perspective, I am, I was getting to the point where it was getting um, harder and harder to find good games locally. Um, and not to say that there wasn't good games we had locally, but it was just, it was, just, it was getting noticeable. Um, and especially sometimes schedules don't always work up like like with myself and the best players, my local meta. Um, and then even then when I played those players, they would, they would play lists that they felt were good, but I knew that on a, on a worldwide meta level, they were not good, but they wanted to play those lists. So it was kind of cool to see something off meta, but at the end of the day, I was getting reps with a good player in an off meta list that I wasn't going to see if I went to a G2 event. So there was some kind of like limited value there. Um, so playing like leagues, playing vibe check, playing people on TTS, playing the, the top level players uh, in the US and then playing the top level players with practice scrims into um, other countries, Scotland, Greece, Poland, Belgium, Germany, all that stuff. Your Scotland game. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, but I mean that sometimes you just get sh like shot. Like, I just got like four objectives like blown up turn one, and I was just kind of like, okay, well, this game is this game is pretty much over, you know. But I did try to make a game out of it, but sometimes that's just how it goes down. But having that access is not something I really had access to, so that has been huge. And then being able to go into like the think tank, and it's kind of crazy, like talking about these matchups like doing this kind of theory crafting kind of stuff like that and then watching it start to show up on the radar of like of uh reddit on discord stuff like that and it's stuff that we've been talking about for weeks and it's just starting to show up as a blip on the radar Team, teams you always heralds the singles matter it's, it's it's crazy it's absolutely crazy. and by the time the community is like finally talking about something that's meta it's You're something that we have like we have like eight weeks of games with it already yeah. and it's not because we're finding out necessarily ahead of time it's just because we have a bunch of crazy people who are way too invested in this game who are literally reevaluating everything over and over and over again and actually going through some real good thought yeah, exercises right. and Cliff, throwing it on the table. Need to dip, so we should wrap up. Okay, so we got one question left. Um, but that's the goal for me, is just basically stay on for as long as they'll have me. Last questions from Bonsai Kitty Gaming. Uh, question, when creating a new list, I'm a hobbyist, fluff person starting competitive play. How do you avoid toxicity when many people push the same mega net list? Easy question. Easy answer for me is... Um, Expectation management, 
you need to put out there when you're looking for the game, like, hey, this is, I'm looking, I'm trying to practice for a tournament. This is going to be a no holds barred tournament game with the tournament list, uh, with a strong list. And at that point, if they accept your offer and they show up and they still get salty about your running, that is no longer on you. That's on them. Also, just be pleasant to play against. Um, That's it. Like you can push somebody. You can push somebody's back doors in while still being pleasant to play against. It's completely fine. I think this this question might also. There's another way to take this question, which might be if you're suggesting a list, suggesting using a list that does not appear to align to what the current meta's understanding is, um, and folks are like clowning on you as a result. I think one ask yourselves some of the same questions we asked ourselves earlier today was like, does it actually do the job that I want it to do? Like, am I in fact? Did I identify a strength and am I, am I reinforcing that strength with this list? Um, which is why I think 270 point monoliths are like legitimately have some play. They just haven't found quite their spot yet. Shout out to the dude that did really well at whatever that giant event was with like six next Cherokee. I mean, Frontline does rule that you can gate, you can teleport them. So, yeah, it's like, you know. That's, no, a, that's no. a big deal, it turns out. That is a big deal. Yeah. If that rules, yeah, if, if that's true, that works for you. But also, like, you know, Go try it, right? Like, go get some reps, see whether or not you're right or you're wrong. And when you're wrong, eat it and be like, all right, well, that was a nice try. Uh, I don't know how I got there, but I should figure out how I made that mistake and try not to make it again. That's it. Cool. All right, that is all the questions. Uh, gents, thank you for joining us, uh, especially uh, Ennis. I know it's late over there. Monster episode at two and a half hours. But um, I think this is I think this is going to be an episode a lot of people are going to come back to and they're going to reference for uh, several weeks. Um, so I think... I'm very excited for this series. Right now, we're planning on it being about uh, four episodes for this series. Yep. Um, gents, do you have any plugs or anything you want to talk about before I uh, show us the outro? Uh, uh, I mean, I can do the regular plugs if you want. But... Plug yourself, well, me, man. Me... Dude, dude. <laughs> so know, first, well, first plug... of all, you can check out, uh, if you want to support all that we're doing here at StatCheck, you can check out patreon.com slash StatCheck. $5 a month gets you access to our Discord community where all of this stuff gets coalesced. You want to bounce these ideas off of us, bounce these ideas off of other people in the Discord community, it's all in there. Uh, please go check it out. We would love to have you. There's like 275 amazing people in that Discord, plus one Tim. Um, <laughs> uh, and I know that because I, I get the notification. Are you sure you want to tag 275 people when I add everyone for the show, uh, which is horrifying. Um, so yeah, please come check it out. We would love to have you. Uh, also, if you want to hear more from me specifically, uh, you can get and you want to you know develop your 40k skills with me. Uh, I would love to have you. Um, you can drop us an email at coaching at stat-check.com or uh, you can message me on Discord. I'm in this hashtag 0472. Uh, if you want to talk about getting some coaching in place, I would love to help you on your journey. Um, hopefully, hearing me speak today has given you some idea of what we can offer. Um, it's a lot of self-reflection, self-analysis, going through games, going through tournament packs for terrain, um, for terrain management and expectations and lists and all these kind of things. Um, so whatever stage of development you're at, I would love to get a chance to work with you uh, if it's something that you're interested in. Uh, uh, we also have Typhus, who is the team Poland ex-captain, who is also fantastic at coaching. And if you have a specific focus on teams, uh, Typhus is also a wonderful opportunity uh, and a wonderful person who speaks just as well in 4K as me if you can deal with the Polish accent. Yep. Type of Slauser Helms, Enter the Matrix, which is low-key the best competitive 40K. Uh, which I think is coming out tomorrow, uh, as time is speaking. Uh, tomorrow. Yep. Tomorrow, That'll yeah. be out tomorrow. I'll be on the lookout for lists, post for it. That's uh, Typhus, who himself is an icon in the international team play 40K universe, talking to other icons, captains, coaches, expert players from other teams internationally about like 
pairing, list building, overall team strategy, all that good stuff. Um, and check back that- in in two weeks, same time, same place, for the next episode of XM1, episode five, about more about Cliff. <laughs> Death Watch, not me. <laughs> all right, gents. Thanks uh, so much for coming in. It's always a pleasure. Uh, Cliff, I will be seeing you in uh, two weeks. I'll see both of you in Discord. Sounds and uh, everyone, uh, thanks so much for tuning in. Good night, and we'll see you in the Discord. For more shows like this, check out the Goonhammer Media Network. More info at media.goonhammer.com.